Sup, freaks? It's your boy Marty here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. I had the immense pleasure of sitting down with Steve Barber, founder of Upstream Data and creator of the OWN Mining Data Center, a little box that can be put on the property of oil and gas producers so that they can use their excess, otherwise wasted gas to mine Bitcoin, make a little bit money, make a little bit of money, uh, reduce their, their flare and their vent, and add to the distribution of hash power throughout the world. Uh, Steve has a very interesting path to how he came to find Bitcoin. He was originally in the oil and gas industry, still is, obviously. Uh, he was working on uh, separate projects and sort of got tired of one and, and fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and realized how mining could really help out uh, a large part of this industry, the oil and gas industry particularly. So we dive into his story, the path he's taken, uh, what he's learned, uh, in the mining world, the difference between mining on the grid and mining on these oil fields, the uh, variables that come into play, uh, specifically on the oil fields, what he's seen up to this point, why he picks the the hardware and the uh, infrastructure, uh, the, the, the container builds that he does. And we get into the importance of Bitcoin, why it's so important that we have a distributed peer-to-peer digital cash in the modern age. I think you guys are really going to like this episode. I know I certainly did. This is the first episode. Uh, I threw back uh, many beers in quite some time. So by the end, it was a little passionate, passionate uh, drunk Marty came out. Sorry if I started to slur my words. Uh, that's on me. This episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by our good friends at the Cash App. You freaks already know all about them. And hey, let's give them a huge round of applause here. They really put the team on their back uh, for this during this crisis, and they've been working behind the scenes to to get something launched so that they can help out uh, individual Americans who may be struggling right now. Uh, the IRS is now allowing eligible citizens, permanent residents who didn't file a tax return in 2019 to register for stimulus payments, and Cash App is here to the rescue. They're offering account and routing numbers to users to receive payments uh, electronically and to avoid waiting for a physical check. This is a tweet that was sent out by at Rhea B, B, excuse me, Rhea B. Hutoria, Rhea, parenthesis search on Twitter. Um, so yeah, Cash App, if you guys have it, that if you have had it downloaded last week, you might have noticed a notification that says, hey, you have a routing and a uh, account number with them now. So they are now officially bank. They, they got their banking license a few weeks ago. It looks like they're hitting the ground Running so Cash App now offers routing and account numbers just like a bank, so you can deposit your government stimulus payment directly. Again, don't wait for that physical check. And then on top of that, they're helping us stack sats. And note, anybody at Cash App is listening to this. I know this wasn't an official ad read. I just thought, hey, this makes this is timely. This is timely, so I'm gonna throw it in the ad read. Ad lib here. Hope you guys don't mind. Uh, top of the stimulus check availability and the, the new account numbers and routing numbers and the new bank accounts basically they have on the app you can stack sats all right you can stack sats sell sats receive sats send sats uh any way you please sats is the standard on android coming to ios soon i believe they're working on an auto buy function soon tm soon tm that's all i can say and then on top of that you can stack slivers of stocks if you want to cash app investing is now letting you buy slivers of stocks if your favorite stock is a little too expensive you can buy as little as one dollar and because all of this is hooked up to your directly to your bank account, maybe Cash App is now your bank account. There's no four to five day waiting periods to to start investing. You could start investing today. Cash investing 
Hashtag Investing is a subsidiary of Square, a member SIPC. As always, make sure you freaks use the code STACKINGSATS. All right, it's one word. It's a little long, S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to our great friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. All right, download the Cash App today from your local app store. Enjoy this episode. I know I certainly did. Uh, and check out what Steve Barber is doing. He's doing incredible stuff. I'm very happy to have him on the front lines of this war of the digital age to get some money in the digital age. I'll do it like that. Enjoy the episode. Okay. Plan B. Each day I'm closer to being cash of the future. Not in your wallet. I'm in your computer. I'm the consensus of shared and synchronized digital data spread across multiple platforms from Shanghai to Grenada. Each day I'm closer to being cash of the future. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here on a Friday happy hour. I've got uh, beers and whiskey at the helm here on a remote interview, standing across uh, via the screen with with a gentleman with a beautiful mustache, the most beautiful mustache I've seen in all of my quarantine days for the last couple of months. I want to introduce you, freaks, to Steve Barber, founder of Upstream Data and creator of the Ohm Data Centers. Thanks for having me, Marty. Yeah, thanks for uh, acknowledging this beautiful mustache. It's uh, I felt like I needed a bit more authority and uh, you know, to fit in better with an oil field. So what better time than quarantine to get her going? So, so yeah, this... man, thanks for having me. It's going to be fun. Thanks for coming on, man. I'm very much looking forward to this. We tried to make it happen in person uh, a few months ago, but we were too far away on the East Coast. Uh, uh... Well, because I'm brain dead. I was in Boston, and I thought New York was like 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 no nowhere nowhere near as far as it was so well you're a boy from alberta if you were to drop me in saskatchewan uh, i would have no idea where i was or what i was close to so i'm not going to hold that against you and yeah, you are I, I when i was when i was going to boston i thought it was a i thought it was like oh it'd be like an hour train ride that'll that'll work that's <laughs> like a six hour train ride and so I was like, oh, flight's only 45 minutes if you can get one. And then LaGuardia is only 15 minutes from my apartment. But uh, you're you're enjoying a nice local Saskatchewan uh, Pilsner. Are you a Pilsner man too? Yeah, I mean, I like to, uh, I like to drink local. Um, most people make fun of this beer. It's the old style Pilsner. Anyone in Saskatchewan knows what this is. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty tasty treat here. So it's, you say happy hour, it's only 2.30 uh, my time, but hey, it's Good Friday, so it's a good time to get going, right? 
Yeah, exactly. It's a banking holiday. Might as well. Might as well jump into it. I'm actually drinking local too. This is a hot fish IPA from Flying Fish Brewing Company here in Somerdale, New Jersey. All right, keeping it keeping it local here on on this happy hour, two thirty drinking session, Alberta. Um, we're here to talk mining, what you've done at Upstream Data. But before we get all to all of that, uh, let's hear a little bit about your Bitcoin story. How did you find the oil and gas industry first, and sort of uh, fall into Bitcoin? Did you find Bitcoin, uh, and then fall into the oil and gas industry? How the hell did you get to uh, starting Upstream Data and finding yourself on oil fields throughout Alberta? And North America, actually. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, man. I'm a well. I'm a mechanical engineer by schooling um, from Newfoundland, east coast of Canada. Flew out to Alberta for my first gig, um, big oil company. Uh, when I graduated in 2011, and I was uh, hired on to do production engineering. So basically, that job was basically monitor and work with the operators on the on all the oil wells on the on that property and basically just optimize it like maximize production service the wells um do all that kind of thing at during that time i was sort of like becoming hyper obsessed i'm a very obsessive person like when i when i get ideas i like a lot of a lot of people a lot of listeners i'm sure i obsess over it and i try to flesh it out i've always wanted to like innovate and so i was like obsessing over these pumps that we're using to produce oil. They're, they're called progressing cavity pumps. Uh, they're very, they're a very beautiful mechanical, <laughs> mechanical, uh, uh, tool, I guess you could say. Uh, so look them up if you don't know what they are, but anyway, I was obsessing over these and I went out and, uh, while I was at that job at that oil company, I was there for about five years. Uh, it's doing really well. Um, then the downturn hit, um, I wasn't really happy there at the time because being a big company, it's really difficult to like stand out and like get up the chain and stuff. So I wasn't seeing a real great path forward. And I was also obsessed with these pumps and like in the stuff I was innovating with them, the new, um, call it the, like the new, uh, design improvements I made to them. And I was convincing my company to like patent them and stuff. Like I, I ended up getting a bunch of patents with the company, but, the next step after the patents, I wanted to actually, you know, go out and sell them like with the company, but them being an oil company, you know, they weren't interested uh, in doing that. They just want to produce oil and hoard the patents and, you know, use it defensively. Right. But I wanted to actually go out and like license them to, to manufacturers and, and like create a little revenue stream for the company and see if they would succeed on the market. But anyway, they wouldn't let me do that. So I just said, you know, all right, man, I'm, I'm out, I'm out of here. So, cause I had like, uh, at that time I had, and I still have like a list of downhole tools, like for producing oil, um, that I would like to develop. And, uh, and I actually ended up being relatively, so that was 2016. I quit. Uh, um, and I went out and started my own tool company and I, uh, pretty quickly took two more tools off my list that I wanted to build built them and, and patented them and licensed them out. And that was actually the career I was actually excited to pursue. I was just going to, uh, basically what I was doing at that point, <clears throat> I was working at home scouring, like I would, I'd be thinking about what guys are using in oil field, what works, what they like thinking about, okay, how can I make these tools better? Just like a little tweak. Cause to me, I, I thought the, this was a great way to make a living was to, 
just even make little innovations. All you got to do is make a little selling feature to something and, uh, you know, go out, get a patent, license it, move on to the next thing. Then you get this passive income. I ended up getting, getting too successfully licensed. Uh, it took me a while and it was a lot of stress and like, I wasn't sure if it'd work, but I ended up getting a couple contracts and that's where I was going with my career. Um, so that was like 2016 and I, that's when I learned about Bitcoin. Um, it was during that time, like I was sitting at home working on all this stuff. I had a lot more time and I, I just found it on Reddit. Like a lot of people, like I would just, you know, look at memes on Reddit once in a while and some, somehow, <laughs> you know, like somehow like it was, it was in 2016 at the time. I think, you know, it had just come out of the, maybe it was just coming out of that bear market and people are starting to get a little excited for the price upticks. And I think that's what, um, there's a bit more attention on Bitcoin at the time. And that's, that's when I fell down the rabbit hole. And I remember like, I remember when I first, you know, dove down the rabbit hole, like sometime it was like August or, or it was summer 2016. And I was, uh, I was just amazed. Like as soon as I read about mining, like, like the fact that you could just plug computers into the wall and how power intensive they were, I just couldn't believe like the system was so weird and foreign. And the first thing that popped in my head was like, man, like this is what we need in oil field. Like, cause you know, the waste gas problem in oil field is of course a huge problem, uh, which I've talked a lot about and written about. And a lot of people are talking about. Um, and it just seemed, it was just so obvious to me at the time. I didn't even know what Bitcoin was when I first, uh, realized that and I was like man like okay well who's mining an oil field and then I went out and looked around uh, scouring like you know all the Bitcoin forums Bitcoin talk reddit uh, Twitter like whatever I could find I couldn't find anyone really doing anything so I was like all right well I'm just gonna try it and uh, it took me a while like I I'm a I am a design engineer like mechanical I have no experience in electrical or nothing like that so I had to I remember spending like a lot of time on Bitcoin talk, just trying to figure out how people set up Bitcoin mines, like what's a good scalable way of doing it. Container mining at the time was, I think, getting pop more popular. Like I only found a few guys really doing it and doing it well. Like at least like when I, when you look at what they ended up building, like you look at that product and say, yeah, that's a nice product. A lot of it was really crap, like really garbage that wouldn't work in oil field for a lot of reasons. Like, I just wouldn't, well, certainly in Canadian oil field, for example. So, uh, and, and, and basically none of them integrated gen sets. They all were just grid power like, uh, units. Right. So yeah, then, so that was that I got all that in my head. I needed to go do this. And I mean, it only took a few weeks of reading about Bitcoin and learning about it to realize that it was something that I was really into because I don't know, I, I think I was already at that point, I was already very, uh, I really hated what was going on with the money in, in the world, right? <laughs> I really, it, it just didn't make any sense to me. And I was, I was already getting into gold. Uh, I had a few, you know, I had bought a few small gold coins and inherited some. And I thought gold was, you know, was a thing. And I quickly realized, well, Bitcoin might be really the thing. So um, spent a lot of time just jumping down that rabbit hole. Like anybody, it took a long time to actually get a decent grip on what it is. And of course, uh, there's still still tons of tons to learn. But for me, it was just, okay, how do I build these mines? That's going to work in oil field. That's, you know, 
not going to fail under certain conditions. Like it's going to run through winter. It's going to, you know, do this and that. So, and uh, for me, it's always been about, I've always wanted to build these for oil field. Like I come at it from the angle. I never came at it from the angle. I wanted to build Bitcoin mines just to mine myself. I wanted to build Bitcoin mines that other people wanted. So that's what, that's been the struggle for me though. For my entire path, it's just been, okay, how do I make this better? Make it cheaper, make it, uh, more scalable make it fit oil companies needs better and better. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's fascinating. Fell into, fell into the rabbit hole via mining, just scratching an itch that you have as a mechanical engineer. I have a few questions first, cause I'm dumb and I want to know this. What is, what are the differences between the mechanical and electrical engineer? Uh, how, how do the, where do those sort of skill sets divide and where do they overlap? I would just say the real the difference is just the diploma, like the designation, right? Like, um, you the way my in my engineering school, uh, the first year we all were common, so every engineer was under the, a common track, and then we chose a specialty. My school was a, a little different than most engineering schools. Most engineering schools are about about four years to get a degree. Mine was six, and that was because through that six years, we sprinkled in six four-month work terms like co-op terms where you go work with a company that was actually really cool because it is the way we did it in newfoundland was a little different like most companies that do co-op programs and stuff do it for like a year year-long stints um we did like multiple small ones and that was cool because you get a lot of experience with a bunch of different companies so i ended up working for i worked for a couple oil companies in those stints and, and even my university um so I had a very wide range of engineering experience, like just get to touch on little things in each industry. Obviously I'm a student, so I don't get to do much, but learning a little bit about what maybe I want to do. And I chose mechanical. Um, and I guess, you know, mechanical is well suited for well a lot of things, but um, certainly for oil field. Um, and although like, I don't, I don't even see like all the, all the work I did in oil field, like facilities engineering, you know, went a long way to help me solve, you know, a guy with an electrical degree would have done just started the, down the path of building, designing Bitcoin mines. Like, honestly, like I, I sort of, I, I think that uh, go out and do it. I mean, there's so much wealth of information on the internet now, like uh, weight in a credential, like a mechanic mechanical engineering degree or a degree, but, uh, it, it certainly helps set you up to, you know, learn how to attack problems. But in terms of the difference, like obviously you split out and you learn a lot of different theory and math and how it applies to, um, physical problems and electrical and mechanical. But, uh, I'm by no means a, um, even when I design my mind, so I'm getting to the point where a lot of the stuff we build is simple enough that I, I, you know, I don't need, I don't feel the need to have a real electrical engineer check it. But when I was doing the first stuff, the first designs, I would, uh, I designed it myself, but then I'd have a, a friend of mine's electrical engineer works for an engineering firm here in uh, Lloydminster for oil field. And I get them to check it because, uh, you know, I, the last thing I want to do is deploy something that doesn't meet code or blows up on site because it would just be catastrophic. Right. But, um, no, I, I don't know. I think, I don't think there's a huge difference in, um, you see it all the time in engineering, especially you, you take a discipline 
And then you take a discipline in school, but then in your career, you end up doing something completely different. Uh, my dad was an electrical engineer and he ended up doing a reservoir engineering. So like for oil field, right? So they, they had nothing in common. So. Ah, you see the apple doesn't fall far from the tree here. Yeah. Yeah. My, my dad was a, well, my dad, my, my dad was, it was an engineer and I have a lot of the same interests as my father. Um, and then beyond that, he was the first engineer in the family. Every, everyone before that were, were uh, ceiling captains because <laughs> we come from Newfoundland. So uh, we're big into the ceiling industry. And uh, I come from a long line of ceiling, ceiling captains and ceiling uh, and there's people in the ceiling industry. So like sealing up. Sealing, oh, uh, no, clubbing like, seals. Like, clubbing like, seals, uh, holy crap. Yeah, yeah, like traveling traveling north to Labrador, et cetera, and whacking some seals and selling the fur. Uh, the old fur trade up in Canada. We hear a lot about, <laughs> it, about that. Yeah, I mean, it's very controversial, right? Um, it's very controversial, but um, so is a lot of things. So, Yeah. No, going back to the mining of the containers and the mechanical electrical engineering overlap, as somebody who's been getting further into the mining industry myself, it is infinitely fascinating, like the little tweaks you need to make on site, specifically with uh, these containers on oil fields. Um, so like just talking about like the voltage provided via genset and depending on the, the cleanliness or dirtiness of the gas you're consuming, sort of tweaking the parameters around that and making sure the flow of the voltage lines up with the specific model of miner that you may have in your container. It's uh, a number of variables taken into consideration that I think a lot of the freaks that are listening to this may not even understand. Um, and we can jump into that, but I think we should take a step back first and sort of de-alienate between uh, data center mining on the grid and uh, mining on an oil field. Like, What are the different environments what are the different hurdles that are needed to be overcome and uh the different variables that go into each situation yeah i mean there's it's hugely different i think a lot of over the years you know i've 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 been from basically day one i got on twitter because when i found that twitter was a place for bitcoin discussion i got on there and started shit posting like everyone else and uh preaching the good word about the opportunity in oil field because of course you know i'm building a service business so i want people to know what's going on and buy stuff from me but uh you know there is a lot of difference between grid power and mining on an oil well or a gas well completely different risk profiles risk models um <clears throat> first of all grid power is a walk in the park <laughs> right you know like it really is like it's you're getting reliable power. You don't have to worry about generating the power. You don't have to worry about maintaining the engines or the generators or the turbines. You don't have to worry about distribution. None of that. It's all done for you. But of course, uh, all the upside with grid power, uh, there's plenty of downside. You're dealing with utilities. You're dealing with local you know, politicians. A lot of these contracts people get in, um, the utilities have clauses in which they can, under certain circumstances, you know, change things and jack your rates um, if they if they have uh, a need to do that. Like if there's, we've seen it, we've seen it repeatedly um, in Quebec. They had a moratorium on mining. Uh, a bunch of people lost money, like basically time and money, um, preparing and investing in and in raising capital to invest in what seemed to be a boom in Quebec. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, the 
the, the state, the utility, which is part of the state, just said, well, we're, uh, we're not accepting new applications and, and a bunch of other stuff that was going on there. Um, Wenatchee, was it Wenatchee, Washington, I think, where there's a lot of hydro as well, you know, miners flocking for cheap power. And of course, um, people started, I think it was there, it might have been somewhere else, but they started overloading the grids, like too many miners coming in, like chasing the boom, like in 2017 and through 2018. And, and they start jacking everybody's rates, like, uh, and, and, and shutting, like limiting their, their power consumption. And this, of course, all goes back, to, you know, it, it, uh, it hurts the investment, right, for, the, for those miners. Um, and then when you go to oil field, it's a whole different ballgame. Like, uh, one, it's hell, a hell of a lot more logistics and, and, and uh, just, well, capital. You have to, well, you either ha you have to generate the power somehow. So that's either you buying the gen set, you leasing the gen set, or the, or the producer, like the site owner, providing the gen set. Uh, we do it a few different ways, but I always try to work with producers that have um, some, uh, let's say, like some skin to the game or some ability to contribute to a mining operation. I'll, I'll talk about that in a bit, but, um, you know, there's other considerations like, yeah, your fuel quality, like you touched on, um, it can change. It can, uh, it can freeze off in the winter. It can, uh, it might, it could, you know, who knows, you might be mining on a sour site and you literally risk dying. <laughs> like if there's a leak, like if you're, if your S9 short circuits and, you're in a flammable hazardous environment. Like if there's, if there's a gas leak, you're going to blow something up. I had a, I'm working with a pretty big company in Canada right now. Uh, they're trialing our stuff. Um, this is the first time ever happened to me, but an S nine, there was some kind of short and, uh, uh, their operator walked into her shack, um, to start it up cause they were doing maintenance. And I usually, we don't go out there to do that. Um, to, to start up, we just, text them and say, Hey, just fire it up, like hit the breaker or whatever. And so he had a key he walks in and when he fires it up, like one of the ASICs was shorting and spewing uh, some spark and flame. And so that's a concern. And that, that gets written down as like, uh, you know, these guys are hyper, especially in Canada, they're, they're hyper uh, uh, focused on safety, right? Like that's just where the industry's at in oil. Um, and it's been growing that way and it should be, but you know, that's a concern and that's not, unfortunately there's nothing I can do. It wasn't nothing to do with like my design of the data center. That's just what happens with like these ASICs once in a while. Like, you know, it, it can happen and it's happened plenty of times in the past. Um, so it is a risk of, uh, it's a risk of operating on a well site, but that being said, it's not like it's not uncommon anyway. in oil field. just yesterday I set up one of our new hash generators, um, which I'd like to talk about later, but it's a pretty cool rig it was the first commercial unit had it set up here for about a week. Uh, I went down there two nights ago. I walked out there, uh, cause it's just close to town. So I just spun out there after work, uh, just two days ago and the alternator, when I fired it up, the alternator, uh, like just the normal engine alternator, like nothing to do with the Bitcoin mine, uh, caught fire. <laughs> like, <laughs> that kind of stuff happens. Right. So the point is like utility mining is a walk in the park. It's a cakewalk. And I get so many, I get so many inquiries from people that come from utility mining that are like, Oh man, look, look at all this cheap gas. You know, we got to do this. Like, um, and I, and I encourage them to, I hope they do. And I hope they, but you gotta, you gotta, you gotta 
Uh, if you don't come from oil field, if you don't really know what you're getting into, do your research because there's a lot of things to uh, consider that completely change the game. Yeah, yeah. Weather being one of them, right? Like, uh, it is insane the oh, yeah. uh, the amount of uh, externalities that can be caused just by weather alone. Uh, like, we were deploying in December, and it was very cold where we were, and we, we had to bring in space heaters to, to heat up our miners to actually get them going. Uh, and, and But... Uh, I Want to decide where I want to take this right now. I definitely want to talk about what you're building, but while we're on this thread right now, just staying on the uh, oil field specifically, um, how big is the opportunity in your mind? Like, so you, so let's, uh, you're working with smaller oil producers, more niche, uh, sort of family-owned oil companies. That uh, is that correct to say? Um. Yes and no. I mean, yes, because I really, I really target those, uh, those businesses because, um, well, one, I, I've, I've always focused on the small stuff first and that's because there's a lot of good reasons, but one, one, one reason is just, it's everywhere. Like you can, one of our little data centers, like a, a 50 kilowatt hash generator, which isn't, which includes everything like the gen set, the data center, um, something I'm about to publicly reveal, although I, I already teased it. So you can sort of look at it on my Twitter, but I mean, that thing is meant for your everyday Joe. Like I want, I want to service the everyday Joe that like any operator that has access to gas and wants to get into this, I want to sell him. I want to give him an opportunity to do it and give him a very cost effective solution that he can just plug in and get going. And then, you know, cause those applications are everywhere. Like, uh, I, I, I focus right now on, I've always focused on optimizing for, um, well, this the V8, like it's a, it's a GM Vortec V8 5.7 liter engine. That thing is everywhere in Canada, like everywhere. Every producer has, every big producer has hundreds of these sitting in their yards. This engine can eat about like 15 to 18 MCF a day or about half a deck if you're in metric. And that, uh, you can put that, you can park that on almost every oil well in Canada, like almost every gas well in Canada, you can park that thing. So that's why I focus on that. I want to, I want to just kill it on the small stuff and then worry about the large stuff later. And there's obviously a lot of other reasons like large stuff. You have to have big capital to even deploy one unit. I can deploy like, like a small one, like pretty easily. I've got the cost down so much. So, um, yeah, I mean, but I'm also working with the biggest companies in Canada, uh, like uh, a couple I can name, a couple I can't, like Crew Energy, Rife Resources just bought units off of us. Uh, they're not the biggest in Canada. They're more medium-sized, but, like, they're still substantial, and they have big properties. Uh, some The biggest ones, which I can't name yet, it's actually in the contract not to name them. So um, they're, you know, they're they're wanting to trial it. Uh, you know, the company, everyone's, there's been a crazy change in the, in the last few years. Like when I was first, you know, banging on doors in Calgary after I got my first unit deployed and said, Hey, look what I did. Uh, this is crazy, but this is the revenue it makes. It's pretty exciting. Like, uh, your other options are terrible. Like take a, take a chance, like, or maybe try it out. Like I'll put park one on your site. You don't have to buy anything. Right. Like I did, I offered all kinds of create like uh, creative 
options for these guys. And uh, took a long time for like a lot of them, especially the bigger guys, to take it seriously. Um, but that's why I've always said, I've said a lot recently when people are asking me, like credibility, it's, it's the credibility story behind Bitcoin is getting better and better and especially mining and uh, especially in oil fields. So the more, the more that gets deployed and the more people see their neighbor with a Bitcoin rig on their site, they're, they're like, well, well, what is that? Like, and then, you know, they, they start jumping down that rabbit hole and, you know, peer it's peers, people, people buy things from seeing their peers do it. That's what, that's what sells, right? Yeah. Some sort of social cues. Right. And mm -hmm. I guess this is a, a great uh, sort of topic to dive into. What are the alternatives to Bitcoin mining right now? So Bitcoin mining <clears throat> sort of steps in to consume gas that would otherwise be vented or flared uh, and venting and flaring comes with uh, emissions problems in a lot of places where governments have regulations that curb the amount that can be flared or vented. Uh, and uh, so the oil companies have a high incentive to figure out how to avoid that flaring and venting at all costs. So what are the, the uh, alternatives to, to mining right now and how do they compare? Yeah, I mean, the alternatives are garbage. Like they're, the best alternative is to use the fuel on site and, and everybody does that already. They try to use it any way they can. So in Canada, um, every oil site's different, right? Like if you're, we have a lot of heavy oil in my area. So that's a much different way that you process and, and ship the oil than you would with light oil on conventional plays or shale oil, everything is varies, right? But, you know, in Canada, we have a lot of venting. So that's just gas being spewed out of a pipe. Like there's no, there's no conservation. There's no burning. It's just methane blown into the wind. Uh, if you go, I actually have a video of that on my, on a blog post on my website, you can check out uh, upstreamdata.ca. But um, that's a, that's been a huge problem. And, it's a bigger problem that people realize because, uh, you know, Canada's Canadian oil field does a pretty good job because due to the strict regulation, like we do a pretty good job of reporting volumes, like what's flared, what's vented. Uh, but everybody under reports. Okay. Cause if you're a small company, cause there's limitations on what you can vent. And this is the reality is that if you're a small company, borderline economic, and you're about to go out of business, if you know, if you get a few more, if you have to shut in your oil well, or if you have some costs come at you, you don't expect, you know, you're going to do everything you can to stay in business. And these guys, um, they'll, they'll vent more than that's allowed, but they don't report that. They report it at the, they report uh, the allowable. It's like, you know, in, in, in Alberta, for example, you can, you can vent about, well, it's half a deck. So it's about 15 to 18 MCF. You can vent that on every well site and that's legal. Um, for for and that's just, there, a, that's just MCF, historically MCF is metric cubic feet of, of gas. It's the measurement of gas, right? Uh, a thousand, an MCF is a thousand standard. Milli. Feet. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Milli. And, uh, and a deck is a thousand cubic meters. So half a deck, half or 500 cubic meters is about, uh, what I say, 15 to 18,000 standard cubic feet. Um, so you're allowed to vent a certain amount. And, and so, you know, people are saying, you know, oh, venting is going down. Look at the, uh, look, the report of volumes are going down. It's true. It is because a lot of oil wells are shut in, but the amount of actual vent is far higher than what's reported. And actually 
they've done flyovers recently and I don't know if they're using infrared or some other tech to sort of sample the methane in the atmosphere and they can tell they're like, there's way more being vented than reported. Uh, so something's going on here. So, um, yeah. So in terms of like, okay, what are their options? Well, yeah, they, they waste the gas by venting or flaring. Venting is worse for the environment because it has a greater heating potential for global warming or global warming potential, I think it's called. So methane, you know, warms up the atmosphere more than if it was combusted. So the rules are you got to combust it. You have to either invest in a flare stack, which is not great at combustion, especially because uh, a lot of it, the gas escapes um, and nobody really knows with a lot of accuracy of how much exactly, but, um, or at least not from my research, but it's not a great way of disposing it. Uh, there's better ways such as incinerators um, and combustors. Um, they're getting more popular in Canada because of, um, they're getting cheaper and, uh, and they're just a better combustion method. So they do much more complete combustion than a flare. Um, but again, you know, you're an oil company or you're there investing to make oil you get all this associated gas come up and you cannot conserve it because the gas price is so garbage that the pipeline, which is your best option in terms of conservation, aside from Bitcoin mining, it's, uh, it's too expensive. So you can't, you can't plummet into a pipeline. So you got to put a pipeline in the ground and you got to maintain that pipeline. And it's just cost over cost. You got to compress the gas maintenance on the engines or the motors moving the gas. So it doesn't happen. And then they end up just disposing it. So they just burn it. And I mean, it's, it's sort of disgusting to me, uh, you know, as someone like, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm a conspiracy theorist or I don't know what it is, but you know, a lot of the, a lot of the plays out there, like these big shale plays where they're flaring just ungodly amounts of gas, like they're, they're, uh, there's really no need to do that. Like if, if, I mean, they're all chasing, uh, they're all chasing, uh, the oil and, and, the, and the profit off the oil and just burning up the gas. But I mean, any, anyone in oil field knows that if you waste the gas, you're actually wasting the energy down hole that drives the oil. Um, it's, it's called like the liveliness of the oil. If you have oil um, sitting underground under pressure, that's virgin. It has all this entrained solution gas in it. And when you start depressurizing that oil, like you drill a well, start producing it and you depressurize that reservoir, uh, the gas is released from the oil once it hits the bubble point pressure. So the, the pressure drops, hits this pressure called the bubble point, which varies based on the oil quality. And the gas comes out of solution. And so that gas being a compressible fluid and all that helps drive, it actually helps drive the, uh, drive the, the oil and give it the liveliness to make it to the well bore and to produce in the first place. So when you burn off all this gas, you're actually destroying the energy drive behind the oil and you're destroying the absolute recovery of the oil. So what you're doing is you're burning up the ability for future generations to access that oil. And that's, that's what disgusts me about what's going on. And I think that's uh, largely, um, you know, a lot of it comes from the misallocation of capital into where into, into the oil industry and uh, which, you know, the root cause is fiat money probably, but, um, <laughs> let's dive more into that. So, so are you saying that gas should be capped a little bit more and held on site longer if possible? Well, it's, you know, when you, when you, if you drill an oil well, you're, you're always going to do whatever is most profitable you, for you right now. Um, the, the gas 
So here, I'll give you a different example. So in this heavy oil area up in Lloydminster, like Lloydminster, Alberta, it's actually in Alberta and Saskatchewan, we're on the border. Um, it's it's the heavy oil capital of Canada, basically. We're like the, the big oil, the big heavy oil city in Canada. We're only a small city, like 25,000 people. But that's the, that's the sort of the, everywhere around Lloyd, we have this heavy oil. Now, traditionally, this heavy oil has been very hard access. It's very sandy. Like when you, when you pump this oil, you need a special pump, this PC pump I mentioned at the start that I, that I used to specialize in. And you need, that's one of the only ways to get this oil to surface, like in flow better, because it's heavy. It's like molasses. And when I say heavy, just think of molasses. It, it doesn't flow. Almost like motor oil, right? It's just, it flows pretty nice. This, but this stuff is like tar. It comes out of the pipe like Play-Doh. Like it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. Now, uh, what I want to say is that, you know, um, people have tried, like people go after this stuff and try some really crazy things. Like, so, like for example, there's a whole area just south of town here uh, where they did a fire flood. So a fire flood is they pump oxygen down into the reservoir, into the oil-bearing reservoir, and burn it and literally torch it. Yes, they torch it underground, okay? So what happens is they pump oxygen in there, and this oxygen front slowly moves through the, through the reservoir and is burning, and it's creating heat. So it's a very cheap way of creating heat down hole instead of injecting, like, steam. Because if you inject steam, you need to build big facilities on surface and stuff. And, you know, this never ended up being a scalable, scalable tech. Like, it, it was a failure of a project. I think it was Exxon or... or uh, my BP, I can't remember now, did this fire flood. And, and these fire floods have been done in a number of places around Canada. Um, all this all this easy money was pumped into these poor projects. They ended up trying it out, and they they literally ruined, they ruined the entire reservoir for any future technology to come by and actually figure it out, right? And that's what I see. I mean, I'm sort of just ranting, but that, that's the way I see some of the shale stuff. Like, um, yes, it's been pretty profitable at, at times i think to go after the shale although from what i read like a lot of these shale properties never have really paid out that well they've been they've just been subsidized by wall street money for the last decade they've never been a great um investment and actually from what i can tell a lot of investment has been leaving that leaving that play over the last few years and this is this is stuff like you know guys have told me like some customers in texas have talked to me about like they they've never really got the, the shale stuff. And I remember when I was working at this big oil company, like there was a thing going around the industry here in Canada talking about how the shale play doesn't, doesn't pay out. And so if, if whether or not that's true, but like assuming it is true, if, if all this money is getting pumped in the shale stuff and it doesn't actually pay out, like no one's, you know, it's, it, it's basically people just trying to exit at the right time. Then what ends up happening is like, yeah, we ended up fracking all these, all these, uh, and increasing all these reserves and getting all this oil, but no one ever really made net money on it. And you, you burnt off all the, all the gas, like in the meantime. So you're sort of throwing out the potential for a future generation with better technology to come in there and produce it. Cause like this fire flood I mentioned, we've now. So mm -hmm. just to interject a little bit. Yep. It prevents future generations because the incentive to go back on that site and actually drill more uh is lost because everything's been wasted it, it doesn't seem economical because that gas is being wasted where it could have otherwise been used and potentially made 
a mm-hmm. economical situation. Basically, yeah, like you've you've uh, like you see these monster flare stacks, and and you look at it, and I mean they're doing it like they're flaring, of course, because it's just not economic rate at the time for a variety of reasons to plummet into a pipeline. A lot of cases they do, they do plummet into pipelines, and and obviously that's why gas prices are so low, especially down in the Permian area, uh, because they have so much gas from these plays. But you know, at least when you're plumbing into the pipeline and someone's using it, you know, you, you know, it, it's call it, you know, it's ethic, it's ethical. When you're when you're burning it, um, you're, and this is sort of you know this is a, you, this is maybe just subjective here, like it's just my opinion and stuff. But um, either way, like you are depleting the gas drive in the reservoir. You can never get that back, and so it reduces the ultimate recovery of that formation of that reservoir. So when you do that, like, it's just not good. Like in Canada, we, all the venting that's going on. Uh, the fact is in the past, there's never been a technology to capture the vent. So of course, flaring is the best option, but we actually do have technology now, which is to generate power on site and mine Bitcoin. So there's no longer an ethical, like it's no longer a justification. I, I should say to, 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 to vent this stuff. Cause you can, uh, every site, like I said, like especially these small vents, like only a couple hundred cubic meters a day of gas, strap a little V8 on there, mine some Bitcoin. So like it's, there's no reason for you not to, at least from, because uh, even in most cases, it's still pretty economical to do that, especially right now with the oil prices so low, you're, you're actually making more money uh, mining off the gas than you are producing the oil. So, <laughs> so we're going to get into a couple things here. First, Steve... It's basically just saying Bitcoin fixes this. I think that's yeah, it fixes this absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think we should dive into these incentives of these oil companies too, especially considering uh, they're definitely different considering the regulations in the jurisdictions that they're in. But these oil companies, they have one thing in mind: they want to stick a hole in the ground and get the, as much oil out as possible and get as profitable as possible as fast as possible. They don't really care about this gas. It's just, it's a nuisance to them. Is that a correct assumption? Uh, I wouldn't say they don't care about it. Um, they do care about it. Like everybody at the company I worked at cared about emissions, and they didn't want to um, didn't want to vent. And they're very conscious of, especially this company I work for is big. Actually, I'll just tell you, it was Husky Energy. They're very environmentally conscious company, very safety conscious. Um, really great people there, and they everybody you know like. Husky more than almost any company was out there being compliant with all regulations and doing their best to conserve. Um, but the fact is like, it just comes down to economic reality. Like people will, you know, you'll produce, even if it's a waste of the gas, uh, you'll produce it. If you, if that's what's going to end up keeping in business and if that's what the regulators are allowing you to do. Um, and that is, that is really just the history of oil. Like if you look back at the, one of the first wells, I, I did a little blog post on it, like I think it was the Drake well, it was called, I can't remember where it was, uh, might have been Oklahoma, somewhere in the States, right? It was like one of the first commercially viable um, oil wells. And it sort of, I think it just gets, gets the glory of like starting the oil and gas revolution. But ever since then, like we've, we've had associated gas come up with the oil Every, every, all oil that's produced has associated gas with it. It comes out of solution. And for, you know, the majority of, of uh, the history of oil and gas, this, most of this gas has been wasted. Uh, so 
Bitcoin does fix this. And that was what, like, before I understood anything else about Bitcoin, like, you know, it's monetary policy, like why it was such an awesome money. Before I really got that, because it took me a while, just like it takes everybody, I just couldn't believe what such an engineering achievement it was. Like, it was unbelievable to me that, because, you know, here we are as like oil and gas engineers, and we're like, well, damn, like, if only we could figure out the, the, come up with the invention that figures out like the, the, the waste gas problem, right? Everybody wants to figure that out. And Satoshi fucking figured it out. Like, and he didn't even try. Like, he just wanted to fix money. And there you go. Did he even know it. that he figured it out? I don't know. I've, uh, you know, he's a smart guy. I bet you he probably uh, he probably saw the potential, and he definitely. You know, I think anybody who starts to understand Bitcoin mining sees the potential there. They might just not think of oil and gas unless you're in the oil and gas industry, right? But you see it, like, you know, uh, I think it was like Andreas was the first guy I saw talking about this, but he was talking about how it was mining is just this perfect energy arbitrage tool. Um, if you're getting screwed in, I don't know, Venezuela for your energy prices mine Bitcoin. If you're getting paid a lot for your energy somewhere else, well, you don't need to mine Bitcoin. You're already getting paid for it. Right. So, um, yeah, I think it's incredible. And, and that's, that to me is like, it bugs me when I see like other engineers, like I explain to them, like, this is really, really cool stuff, despite what you think about Bitcoin. And when they don't, cause I, me just being an engineer, I expect other engineers to appreciate this kind of thing. And when they don't, I'm like, well, what the hell? Like, this is like, this is a real, this is groundbreaking. Like you can't, how can you not be interested in this? Right? No, I mean, it's infinitely fascinating. And I mean, I've been screaming this from the rooftops. Bitcoin is the real green new deal. And the fact that it like helps us be more efficient, uh, with these waste gas particularly. And then outside the waste gas, the, the other, the majority of the energy sources outside of this are renewable energies. And then we can iterate and innovate in that area as well. And so let's let's hone in now. Staying on gas, like how big is the opportunity? How much energy can be consumed by Bitcoin mining? Uh, we'll focus on Alberta first and try to uh, extrapolate across the world the the opportunity to uh, be more efficient with this waste gas via Bitcoin mining. Like there's not enough right now. There's not enough Bitcoin mining hardware on the planet to consume all the gas that that we could oh man be more efficient not even close not even close um i did a presentation at fidelity mining summit last year and i just for a laugh did it one slide on that like what would the bitcoin price have to be to sort of just like to make a real dent in the the gas like the gas waste on the planet so i took like the world bank the world bank some other international scam institution, I'm sure, but they, they took the, uh, they took, they take data, data on, um, on oil and gas production around the world. And I think they're the go-to source for worldwide energy waste in oil field. And so I took their data and I can't remember off the top of my head what it was. It was an astounding amount of gas. Um, I think it's like 5% of all gas produced is wasted. Um, it's probably a lot higher than that. Like I said, cause it's people do not report it. I'm telling you, I've been on so many sites now that they, they'll find, they'll pump it into their tank. They'll do whatever they can to, to vent it without anyone knowing. So, um, uh, yeah. Okay. So I, I think I ended up, I made a bunch of assumptions, which I won't bore you with, but like just for a laugh, I did a napkin math. Bitcoin would have to be at like 1.5 million today in like an ultra conservative case to even like, put like uh 
uh, what was it? Uh, damn, I can't remember exactly what the percentage was, but maybe, I don't know, 10%. I could go back to that presentation, people could look it up. Um, but it, it only barely puts a dent in the waste gas, and that's not the the other gas. Like, there's other gas, called what, which I just call stranded gas. So I, I call, uh, I like to call waste gas and stranded gas the same thing. I call liability gas. So it's gas that's helping nobody. It's just a liability. Um, the stranded gas market is enormous. Like these gas wells that are sitting there doing nothing. Uh, that's enormous. And that's something I'm actively looking at, uh, trying to get, you know, certainly when I'm pitching my business to oil producers, I'm like, it's one of the questions I ask, like, uh, cause I'm always trying to figure out what is their problem and to see if I can help them. So I just say, okay, what do you got for idle engines? Right. Cause if you have engines, we can make power. What do you got for gas? Do you have waste gas? Do you have flare gas? Do you have vent gas? Do you have stranded gas wells? Do you have gas wells you're going to abandon and pay a bunch of money to, for, um, even when they're still productive? Like, look, look at that kind of thing. And the amount of the amount of stranded gas just sitting gas wells, even in Canada, is absurd. I think there's in Alberta alone. Uh, I did another blog post on this one. I forget. It might be ninety thousand wells. Uh, oil and gas wells that are just currently suspended, meaning they're sitting there not doing anything um, and need to be abandoned at some point. And there's a huge, like that's a huge concern on the government's end and, and society's end because someone's got to clean these up and the oil companies don't want to do it because it makes no money cleaning these up. Uh, now they do it like they, they have a budget and they go out and do these things. Actually a lot of oil companies have been cleaning up wells in this, in this recent downturn not, not just this recent one here in the last few months, but like the last few years of oil being down, they've been cleaning up their liabilities because these wells, you know, have sitting gas wells, you have to pay taxes on them, like property taxes, you have to pay the landowners, et cetera. So they're just trying to clean up their fixed costs. But uh, Yeah, and I was going to say, um, I worked at a valuations firm in 2017 when I think this downturn started, and there's a lot of PE firms involved with this, like giving out like 117% or excuse me, 17% pick loans, uh, where the oil companies are like, yeah, we're going to pay this back. Oil prices are going to be at a hundred dollars a barrel. Um, so there's a lot of assumptions, particularly here in America in the, in the oil production industry, uh, specifically tied to the price of oil that did not come to fruition over the last three to four years. Yeah. Yeah. And they always make big assumptions. And, and I mean, as we know, like, all society is very much over leveraged. Like there's just not enough capital out there to, to actually clean up these liabilities. Um, and in a lot of cases, like, uh, you know, if it's sitting gas, well, aside from, you know, the landowner, it's not gonna be happy with that. Um, so, I mean, you know, they should be paid their, their rent. Um, but, you know, you could really, at least, you know, a sitting gas, well, especially if it's still productive, like a lot of guys, the unfortunate thing is like, they're going out spending capital, burning energy, right? Just paying people, uh, setting up the rigs to abandon these wells. Like, so that's all adding to emissions. Like, you know, for the guys that are out there, you know, saying we have to do this to reduce emissions, but we're increasing emissions by abandoning these things, at least in the short term. Um, but these, a lot of these wells are still productive. Like they're not productive right now, um, but a sitting gas well, I mean, that thing, you could leave that in for a couple decades and just open the tap again when things are better. And who knows what's going to happen in the next decade or two? Like, who knows what's going to happen with Bitcoin? Um, so I, I, I see it as a bit of a shame when they're out abandoning these good wells. Um, some of them are garbage wells, right? They produce too much water. Uh, they'll never be economic, even mining Bitcoin. So, of course, yeah, go clean those up. But there's a lot of wells that guys are abandoning um, that, 
there's nothing really wrong with them. You could you could run a couple uh, a couple like hash generators on there, like mine some coins. Um, and it's sort of it's sort of a shame to see people uh, wasting their money, in my opinion, uh, abandoning those. But they obviously do it for other reasons, and and they don't they're not aware of uh, maybe an opportunity to mine bitcoins on them. No, again, it's Bitcoin really driving home the point that we live in a high time preference, high waste, high uh, consumption driven society that doesn't even think about these externalities that exist. Like, why would we re- waste these precious uh, resources when you could conserve them for the long run? And that's what I've liked uh, about what you've mentioned multiple times in this episode already is like, think about the generations coming behind us. Like, you are destroying that opportunity for them to be uh, as efficient as possible moving forward like we got to think about our children and our grandchildren here i think it's shame i think it's a huge shame it's a shame like despite what any of the listeners think and i think most of the listeners are probably you know they don't have any hate on oil and gas because they they're pretty rational listening to you in the first place like to be a listener and they realize that they use oil and gas every day but, you know, there's a lot of people that are hating on oil and gas. Um, and that's one thing, but you don't want to be, you don't want to, uh, well, the fact is we're using it, everyone's using it. And it's a shame to, it is a limited resource. Now, I am not of the opinion, like, it's going away anytime soon in terms of, like, access to the oil reserves. Like, a lot of people, every year there's, like, a new, you Peak know, oil, man, that came in 1975. <laughs> They're always saying peak oil. If you look at every forecast by any any modern institution, they're saying, okay, oil is about to peak in within five years or whatever, and then it's going down, and then they show the renewables wedge, you know, picking up the slack. And they've been doing that for decades, and you can go back and look at that and show that these guys making these dumbass predictions. And it doesn't come to pass because the, the fact is is that oil and gas is is incredibly useful. It's incredibly useful. Everybody uses it. It's used in so so many derivatives are made from it, right? So that narrative has failed repeatedly, yet people still buy into it. But the real shame is, is like you're saying, is like when you when you go out and destroy an oil reserve, like like fire of burning it, like I said, like that 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 you cannot go back to that one, like the one that they torched. Like you, there's really no that'll never be economic again to go back to. Um, and when you're blowing off all the gas just to chase some short-term, well, not even really profits, because aside from the guys that exited at the right time, it doesn't seem like a lot of the shale stuff has made money. Um, and I'm not—I'm by no means an expert on the shale stuff. I've never spent any of my career on it. But um, based on a lot of different people telling me the same thing and, and some reports I've read, it, it doesn't seem to be a killer—you um, know—a killer uh, industry part of the industry so uh yeah it's, it's just so shameful because uh yeah you you would hope that society would would not be out there wasting this stuff like when it when it is going to be harder to get in the future um and it's not the necessity like the need of it is not going away um people sometimes sometimes the ev people like i, I love evs too but like i think they're great i've i've uh, driven a friend's tesla it's it's freaking awesome but you know the roads aren't paved in batteries; they're paved in oil. So you gotta you gotta start replacing that. Like you know, there's you know you, you know what I'm getting at. There's just a lot of no. Lot there's of a weird nonsense. there's a weird logical inconsistency where people 
like to uh, cheerlead the fact that we are, in a lot of people's minds, the the pinnacle of human ingenuity and uh, economy, and they fail to realize that oil and gas were a huge variable getting us here. Like, I mean, I talk about Jevons' paradox a lot uh, yeah. in the newsletter and on this on this podcast. Like, we have become more efficient with oil over time, and that has. Uh, sent society to trajectories that if you talk to somebody a hundred years ago, they would say, fuck you. Like, what are you talking about? This is impossible. And this is weird. Yeah. I mean, it's a PC shit, man. It's like, yeah, people, people don't want to recognize what got us here. And they just want a virtue signal that, Oh, this is bad for the environment. Like we got to stop it at all cost. And that's what, I, that's what I love about Bitcoin miners. And what you're doing specifically is like, Hey, we should recognize that oil and gas is very important. And yes, it is being abused in some ways, especially the waste gas. Let's just be more efficient with that. That seems like a very logical thing to me. Absolutely. I mean, that's what engineers live for is to try to make things a bit more efficient. Um, and I think oil and gas has more, more area for improvement in terms of overall like net efficiency gains than any other industry like maybe i mean maybe not something like uh, i'm sure there's a lot of way a lot of progress we can make in, in nuclear and i don't know anything really about that industry but i've read it a little bit and it seems very promising unfortunately it seems to be stifled by the state like everything is but um you know but you know you get all these people talking about like hey you know renewables we're going to get better we're going to get our, our solar panels are getting cheaper they're going to get more efficient we're going to get better windmills etc but you know these people aren't really uh comparing apples to apples like we're going to get a lot more efficient producing oil like we already are like every every generation we've doing it way better um we're extracting oil now uh in places like well the shale obviously was the whole fracking boom right that's a whole new tech that didn't exist before in canada we're leading the way in thermal recovery so we're we're taking this waste gas that we can't use we're uh creating steam and injecting that down hole and getting more like there's uh, there's all kinds of stuff going on in oil field and uh, a lot of, a lot more room for improvement still. And I don't think any other, um, you know, well, I, I really don't see aside from the potential of like nuclear, uh, which I, you know, if they ever let that run, I think that has the potential to actually uh, do a lot of good for grid energy and stuff. But aside from that, like renewables is not going to be the answer. Uh, it just doesn't have the utility of of of, of pe like petrochemicals, like oil. And it the, doesn't. The, it's not as accessible, right? I mean, is accessible the right word? Like it's not as readily accessible as oil. Like oil in the consumable state, you can take at any time of day and literally light it on fire, or use a combustion engine, and consume that energy with stuff like wind and solar specifically like you don't know if the wind's going to blow you don't know if the sun's going to shine but you Absolutely. do know that if you have oil you can combust it and turn it into energy well absolutely and i mean that's the thing about oil and gas it's it is energy stored so it's demand following when there's demand you use it when there's no demand you don't use it and you wait wait till later and of course that's the problem with renewables you they cannot respond to demand um and that's one 
you know, it's part of the reason why I don't see uh, renewables being a big player in Bitcoin mining um, in the in the near term. Although they'll they'll have they'll have a place for it, but every renewable project out there has to have uh, you know pretty much anyway. Not hydro's a bit different, but it's still uh, similar. But every renewable project, especially solar and wind, they need. Uh, a backup energy source, and that's usually fossil fuels, uh, coal or gas, um, or nuclear, depending on where they are. And it doesn't, uh, not a great, you know, you don't, nobody goes out, and, and here's the thing about, like, you know, there's a huge meme right now that renewables are going to be great and huge for Bitcoin. I've never really liked it because uh, the fact is, like, nobody out there, none of these big investment firms that are dumping, you know, billions into these monster renewable projects none of them are doing it for bitcoin they're doing it to supply what they're at least believe is is you signaling they well, yeah they, but at least you know given the benefit of the doubt they believe it is better for the environment which i think we could argue but there's assuming it is they're, they're doing it to provide power to the grid and uh, they're going to prioritize giving power to the grid they're not going to prioritize giving power to bitcoin miners it's there to displace fossil fuels on the grid and and that sort of counters, um, it sort of counters that narrative that like renewables can be huge for Bitcoin mining because nobody nobody's gonna invest, no one's gonna build a wind farm just to mine Bitcoin. That's you'll you'll go bankrupt. Yeah, it doesn't make make a lot of sense. And so, I guess we should dive into this now. Like, what renewable sources are Bitcoin miners using right now? It's those that the grid isn't using, right? Like that where people built renewable. Uh, sources sort of stranded as well i might be speaking out of my ass right now but i'm pretty sure i'm, I'm right like where well, the grid wasn't able to like they weren't able to transport yeah renewables curtailed renewables right? yeah, yeah and 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 that's that is true like uh the curtailed renewables it has a big will be important to bitcoin and it is already like uh the coin shares report um as far as that report says you know a lot of renewables are used for mining and most of it's hydro and that makes a lot of sense you got a lot of excess hydro that's why hydro i didn't really single that out because hydro uh is a lot more consistent it makes a bit more sense for mining because you might have a wet season you'll have a long period of time with excess power that you can you know it makes sense to ship containers and and whatever else like just trucks of asics there and set up and then move it again like what they're doing in china I think they do. They might move back to coal or back to wherever they go. Yeah, because cause in China, right, they have like a bunch of ghost cities built on hydroelectric dams where nobody's consuming the energy, so they just mine Bitcoin. Correct. It's true, but in in the thing, you know, is like these dams were never never should have been built. Like that's the problem, right? Like they never should have been built. Um, they were built anticipating demand that never came, so that was capital misallocation from the start, which is a waste of energy. So they're already net negative emissions, right? Like, so yes, you can promote Bitcoin as being the savior to those sites. And it really is because it's giving those sites some utility. But uh, in the first place, they were they, they were a terrible investment and that's bad for the yeah. environment. So you don't build a city just to replicate Paris in China. That does not make a, <laughs> a good investment decision. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, it just comes down to this is all, it just, it comes down to money. Like you talk about all the time in your podcast, like, it's uh, it's capital misallocation due to basically fiat monetary policy. It destroys opportunity costs. People don't think about opportunity costs. It's fucking ridiculous. And it, it 
makes people worse off in the long run. Yeah, well, Pete, that's true. Like people don't, people absolutely do not, 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 not everyone, but you know, a lot of people just don't understand the opportunities they miss, right? They don't see it. Like they don't see that they could have, you know, made different decisions and been better off. Well, that's because, is that because no opportunities are missed when you have a fiat monetary regime, you're able to throw money at everything and you're just more wasteful than you would be if you had a hard money and you're like, you have to think harder about it. Like, should I invest in this over this? In a fiat monetary regime, you don't have to think that hard. It's just like, all right, let's throw shit at the wall. See what doesn't matter. You get bailed out. You get bailed out. <laughs> exactly. You get bailed you out if you're big out. enough. If you're not big enough, you don't. Now we're finding that out in real time. It's uh Yeah. How how's the uh little pivot here? How's the how's how are things in Canada right now? Is there an economic crisis going on? You guys are quarantined as well. Uh, your unemployment numbers, percentage wise, are pretty much on par at the u.s right now correct yeah yeah i you know i i haven't watched it like i'm not looking at the data as much but yeah i yeah canada's in a rough spot like alberta alberta's been like the engine like we say like alberta's been the engine of canada like we're the oil we're, we've been the resource rich energy rich province uh saskatchewan as well they've been up and coming we've been driving this country and we're uh what did they say on the news recently like we're like approaching like the oil field is in such a bad spot like uh i know okay a company that i'm leasing out of leasing their building out of their big service business and they they do a lot of oil field services he laid off uh uh basically well 100 of his employees and then just bring some of them back on when he has occasional work that's how that's how it went to a dead stop okay 100 percent that's what he said 75 percent. but then uh my the guy running the his side of the shop there said that uh everybody got laid off temporarily temporary layoff and that he's only bringing them on to do jobs like they come back on to do jobs but the jobs are sparse because like in oil field i can obviously speak a lot to oil field in canada right now like oil field every single company just said all right no more spending uh even the big companies like my former employer uh, just did a huge layoff. I think fifty percent of their operators. Uh, we're talking like massive numbers. So, and, and oil fields, I think, is getting hit worse than every other sector, uh, just because of the where the prices went. Um, yeah. How much does OPEC Plus have to play in this? Specifically, Saudi and uh, Russia. Uh, well, um, from what I've been hearing and people have been talking about and. and occasional thing i read i think everyone's looking at doing cuts and stuff but it's not like it's not like that's unexpected people are doing cuts right now because it's economic reality you're not producing oil for a loss um, yeah well the cuts but, you can make as many cuts as you want but the demand's not there on the backside. does it really matter like, yeah well that's the thing right like that's that's the really crazy thing about right now is and, and a lot of guys are speculating that yeah these second order effects um you know, the fact that we're all, you know, I'm, you're, I don't even know what the rules are right now in Canada on the quarantine thing. I know you basically can't go to any retail business in this city, this small city I'm in here, uh, and go inside. Like everybody's shut, all the restaurants are shut down. I think that's the way it is in most places. Um, I haven't shut my doors in my business. I'm a fab shop, so I'm building stuff. I can't send guys home. Like I build stuff, right? I'm not going to do that. They'll have to come to me with police for me to shut my business down. But, uh, I got to at least get inventory built. Things are slow as hell. Like uh, my orders, 
most of them are delayed and stuff like so it's it's tough that way but um yeah unemployment's spiking i had to lay off uh, a couple people and reduce hours just anticipating you know the drop in sales and stuff um but yeah i don't know i sort of how don't is, know i don't know what is, to think like i don't know if you're abreast of this like how is the spread of this virus in canada right now is it as bad as it is in new york in the states uh i really i'm gonna be honest man i try not to read anything on it like i it, it just like god bless you god bless you on this on this good friday you're a good man yeah <laughs> i mean i i take it seriously like I, I do think it's serious but it's uh i think the reaction to it is not i don't take that serious i think it's yeah. a joke there's I think nuance to it, right? Like it's serious. It's definitely killing people. It's definitely yeah. affecting people. But the shutdown—I mean, the global economy at this point is basically shut down because of this. Well, you got to like. I look at things like, hey, I'll, I'll back back to the engineering. Like you, an engineer, you know, you got to think about okay, when you're designing a system, like you guys got a rig, right? And, and we talked before we went live here that you were thinking about okay, you're in, you're in a certain spot. I, I don't want to like a docks your operation, but you're in a certain spot and it's certain climate. And, you know, you got to consider the climate conditions that what can happen, like what's the worst thing that can happen and destroy your investment. Right. So you're thinking about the upset condition. Okay. And that's what I'm always thinking about as an engineer when I design stuff. Okay. What's the worst thing? Like, I know what's going to happen, you know, 99% of the time this thing's going to run fine in the nice weather or the, or, or the whatever's going on on the well sites or whatever it is I'm designing. But, you know, you think about this whole pandemic thing, you know, I think it needs to be approached with like a bit of an engineering mindset. Okay. A pandemic is an upset condition on society. Okay. What you, you want to anticipate that and you want to think about what are the scalable like solutions to this thing? Like, what can we all think about ahead of time and what, what can we do that's scalable? And I don't have the answers here, but like some things that pop in my head that do seem scalable is like, well, wearing masks okay that seems pretty scalable like guys can people can choose to wear masks um businesses if they want to voluntarily shut down because they anticipate a drop in demand and they can't make money hell yeah go do it but don't go tell me to shut my business down if i'm going to keep making money during this like like that's not right like that is uh that's the worst thing you could do really because you're just that's when you're you're asking for worse throwing the baby out with the bathwater at that point right like well yeah i mean people get desperate like you gotta like so you know um in in canada oil and gas has been a bad spot for quite a while unlike the states like the states also went through a downturn with the oil price but the difference between canada and the states is that the states you know you're a net exporter you can ship your oil anywhere you want canada only has one partner it's the states so we have to ship our oil down there and if you don't want our oil we're fucked we're absolutely fucked. We can't get it. I can't even get like, not me, but <laughs> Alberta can't even get our oil to the East coast of Canada because the environmentalists blocked their pipelines. We can't go to the West coast because the environmentalists, environmentalists blocked like our, our pipelines, right? We cannot, uh, we cannot get our oil anywhere. Um, uh, and what, where was I going with this? <laughs> I don't know, but, um, what was the subject? We're, we're talking about, Throwing the baby out with the bathwater, like why destroy everything? Yeah, why yeah. Be so extreme with this. Oh, I, oh, oh, yeah. I know There's what I was saying. to it. Yeah. Okay. I, I sort of started ranting, but what I was saying was like the industry has been in a bad spot here in oil, and what we've been seeing 
Um, and this part is partly anecdotal, but I, I bet you there's data on it. Theft, like oil field theft has gone way up in the last few years. People are, because people are desperate. Like people have been like, Alberta has been in a relatively bad spot for a while in oil and gas. Like we're starting to come out of it before this whole crisis. A lot of people have lost their jobs. Um, a lot of people, you know, they're, you know, you know, people, people are over leveraged, right? They have payments, you know, they're getting desperate. So there's a lot of theft in oil field. Like people are risking their lives, like cutting cables to sell copper. Copper was high priced. They were, they're stealing copper. I've had batteries stolen out of my mines. Funny enough, they get, they go to my mind, they steal the battery, but they don't fucking do anything else. But uh, so far, so good, right? <laughs> Yeah, the more I the more I pump these products, the more more of that issue I'll probably have in the future. But um, you know, it's just people are getting desperate, and like when you when you force a business to close and like people can't make payments, guess what's going to happen? Crime's going to go up. Like it's got to go up. It's it happened. We've seen crime go up, at least petty crime, like in in this in this town, Lloydminster. Uh, break-ins into shops, like industrial shops have gone through the roof. Like the guys that helped me build some of the, have been helping me build some of our gen sets. Like they have a shop. They've been broken into multiple times recently. They had to get a bunch of cameras and, and stuff like that. And everybody's saying it's going up everywhere. Like this is a common theme. And this was before this crisis. And that's what you'll see. Like you're going to see that if people, I do expect we'll see in a few years when we look back and they have all the data They'll say, look, like after this crisis, like crime spiked, like I bet you you'll see it. Um, you can't put food on the table. People will do what they have to do to put food on the table. So, No, I mean, we've seen the acceptance of that here in the States and a couple of cities. The city I was born and raised in, plan on moving back to within the year, Philadelphia. He said, hey, we're not going to um, respond to petty crimes, to larceny to to break-ins we we got to focus on this stuff uh san francisco did that a while ago like this stuff is is already happening here it's just whether or not everybody realizes it and recognizes it and it is it is weird man and going back to like fucking up the money it it has put society at whole like you're you're talking about alberta which is extremely even though it's not that far and from where I am, it is just extremely far into my mind. Like we have common problems here and this is all across the world right now. Yeah. And, and we have an invisible virus basically acutely highlighting the problems of economies built on conspicuous consumption and growth at all costs. It's, it's mind blowing. Like we are at a weird inflection point right now. Do you feel that as well? I do. I do. I, f I feel, uh, I feel like the institutions, like the, the talking heads on TV, they're, they're going to, they like, they're going to want to use this whole virus as an excuse for the systemic systemic, like the sickness that has it's been already plaguing been us. Yeah. yeah, no, it's been, uh, we've been, society's been sick for quite a while. Um, there, I mean, they're just desperate to retain ownership. Like that's what this is all about. They don't want to give up ownership. The, uh, the institutions that are out there, the people that have the easy access to financing, the easy access to money, they're desperate to, to maintain what they have and not go bankrupt, not give it up. But that's, that's, 
as we all know, and as every listener here knows, because everyone's most of your listeners must be of the same mindset by now. Like, you know, you got to let people fail. You got to let people fail. If you, you can't keep propping up these bit, the, the, the grossest thing about this whole fiat monetary policy and how money is issued and how it trickles down the chain. What really disgusts me is that, um, if you're a small business, okay, like you're like me, right? You bootstrap like you, like you guys, you know, you bootstrap a little business and you're out doing your best, you know, you, you see an opportunity and you're going to go out there and try, you're going to go out there and try to make it work and make a return on investment. Um, you got to compete with these, these guys that they, <laughs> well, one, um, you know, they, they do the same thing, but they just get financed and they do it poorly and they fail. And then they just get bailed out and they get financed again and they do it poorly and they fail. And that's, that's, that's what caused the death of mom and pop shops. Mom and pop shops, it wasn't Walmart and their distribution chain that killed everything. It was the financing. The financing has killed mom and pop shops because mom and pop shops can't get the same terms. And they have to compete with these guys that just get bailed out. So well, that's what disgusts me. Yeah, and this was an article that was going around in your, your Telegram group today, the, the Oil, Gas, and Bitcoin Telegram group. Like now with this oil war going on, JP Morgan, Citigroup, uh, Wells Fargo are getting free access to all these oil companies that are having to shutter their doors because of this oil war, right? It's yeah, it's gross. Up. Yeah, it's gross. And they're they're able to buy all the assets or they get all the assets because they issued the loans, and yeah. now they're able to sell them off. And you're, you're we're talking about banks based on Wall Street in New York City taking over oil companies in the middle of the country and across the world. They have no idea how the operations run, but they get all the assets and they're able to distribute them. Yeah, yeah. And and when they fuck up and when they when they need uh, when they make bad decisions, they'll just get a bailout. And they get to keep doing this. And that's the disgusting that's thing. And and that's what I think like people don't realize. Like people just don't realize that they don't see the opportunities they've missed. Like they you know, they don't see that they, you know, in a different reality you know, people, it wouldn't be so hard to create a small business and do to do all right, to just create just enough to provide food for your family and just have a nice little shop that you tend to, right? And just have your kids grow up there and do stuff. Like, it's so hard to do that nowadays. And all of that is being killed by this whole fiat monetary policy. And that's what people don't see. And that's, that, that's what grosses me out. You know, I bring this stuff up. This is on my mind and I bring it up and I'm like, you know, this is, you know, the, the problem in society, like, you know, everyone, especially, you know, they talk about politics all the time. They're trying to solve things through politics. And like, you can't solve this through politics. You have to solve the money first, solve the money, and then politics will follow. But they just can't grasp that. And they can't grasp the concepts that we're talking about now, like that small, that mom and pop shops died, have, you know, can't survive because we have to compete with the zombie businesses, you know, like, the guy that goes and, you know, he, he just comes in and competes and he just gets easy money, but then he blows it and just gets it again. Like, he just gets getting bailed out. Meanwhile, you got to compete with that. So. It's a completely cronious system, too. It, it, your oh, proximity it's crony. to The proximity to the people that issue the bailouts. Yeah, I mean, you talk about Decides whether or not you get bailed out. Yeah. You talk about the Cantillon effect, and the Cantillon effect is, is what? It's the... Uh, it's uh, the closer those you are to have, the, yeah. Those who have access to the money first, yeah, 
get an undue benefit from that because by the time that money reaches the plebs on the lower end of the economy, prices have changed and they yeah, are not able to take changed. advantage of that. Yeah, and the purchasing power of that money has changed. And, and I like to say that Bitcoin reverses the cantillon effect because if you think about it, the, well, the later you get your Bitcoin, like if you have a Bitcoin today, well, okay, you can do whatever with it. But in 20 years, you know, you can do a hell of a lot more with that Bitcoin like because it's the opposite. So Bitcoin it completely reverses the cantillon effect. And I think it will, uh, I think that's why, you know, that will, I think we see this and, and, and most of the listeners see this. And I think this is why we're so hardcore because we see how this is going to change these it basically just changed the state. The state is a top-down system with state money, and Bitcoin is a bottom-up system with with voluntary money, like free money. And I think you're a perfect example of how Bitcoin is bottom-up. You're literally going to uh, people who own small oil, own small properties that just so happen to produce oil as well. You're saying, hey, you can be as efficient as you need to be on your site by mining Bitcoin, and that Bitcoin actually will help you produce more revenue and over time uh, more value because you'll be able to hold some of that and we'll hold that value over time and that is we're talking about bottom bottom up from the earth like from oil through a generator through an ASIC to Bitcoin like that is so bottom up so emergent it is hard to describe it is and I think it's so like I love the concept of uh, of that like we're you know, we talk in oil and gas, we talk about being a fully integrated oil company. And what that means is, okay, you're, you're upstream, you produce the oil. You're midstream, you distribute the oil. And you're downstream, you're, you, you, I guess, distribute it to the end user, right? gasoline and, and the like, and the byproducts. And you've got these big, big oil companies that are fully integrated, like Shell, Exxon, uh, my former employer, right? And then you got the little guys that are just solely upstream. But Bitcoin mining actually makes them fully integrated. You can, they can take their... Uh, take their gen set uh, if they're just a gas producer that's it you don't need a pipeline you don't have to build out a dirty pipeline and have it and i don't mean dirty pipeline but just like the the fact that it's a sunk cost like it's in the ground and you can politics that come with it the the infrastructure oh, and, and yes. coordination that comes yeah. with it it's so much yeah, easier I mean, just to put a container with asics in it than to build yep. a pipeline yeah and in and obviously there's cases where you need the pipeline just because of the demand but like it's cool. And I, I think like, uh, I think people are starting to see that. Like I've had, I'm finally getting, um, like this year, like 2019 and now 2020 is the first time in the four years or I've been doing it really since 2017, like full force that I'm actually getting cold calls. Whereas before I get the occasional oh, yeah. cold calls, but like it was, people are finally waking up to it. And that's why, like, you know, you shield that oil, gas, Bitcoin group on Telegram and anyone listening should join that um, just for just for just for laugh, just to read what's going on. It's a good conversation. But um, I'm, I, that's why I'm so interested in educating people. And you've been educating people on this topic for quite a while. And I think that's so important because people need to see what's out there. Like, I like to write little case studies. I say, OK, we deployed this and this is what happened. And this is why it was a cool application. And that's what people need to see, like people in oil need to see it. You can tell them that Bitcoin's great and that you just run this little gen set skid and, and they can, you know, mine Bitcoins and stuff and it makes this payout. But they, they need to see the case studies. They need to see it in the field. Um, and the field guys, like every operator I've talked with, like whenever I go to play a unit, um, 
I meet new operators for the site, uh, get their contact and stuff, stay in touch with them. Uh, Cause obviously we were in communication about the rig and sometimes, you know, they're, uh, sometimes they're a little, I, I've had a few guys actually think Bitcoin's a scam and they think, um, they're not impressed with their company for allowing me on their site. Like I've had that, like I could tell, and they've sort of outright said that they think it's sort of scammy. That's cool. Like, I don't really, I don't need to really pitch it to them. It's like, okay, I understand your point, but it is what it is. And, and, but over time, like I've seen their opinions change, like, because they, you know, I'm reporting to them what, depending on the, on the case, like what the deal is on the site. Sometimes I'm trialing on a site and I'm reporting to them what it's earning and, show them like a view profile of a, of a mining account and they get to start watching it and they slowly get to sort of, you know, and maybe they're not thinking about it very much, but over time they're starting to get it. And I see so many guys, like there's so many guys that do get it right away. They're like, they like the idea of an alternative money, like an, like a, I, I just call it like an anti-state money. They, they like the uh, an alternative, that. like of a people's money. And, you know, they always they already appreciate you know gold and what gold represents. A lot of these guys are blue collar guys, and they don't like government intervention or concern. I, I really uh, to educate people any way I can, and these guys are going to want to get into this, so try to help them any way I can. No, I can't thank you enough for doing that, and. You are somebody individually, specifically, who is really pushing the ball forward in my mind. Like I've, ri- I've written about you in my newsletter plenty of times over the last couple of years. I appreciate those chills, man. <laughs> well, I, I, well, the feeling is mutual. I appreciate what you're doing, and I think it is incredibly important. That's why I shill you. I, I only shill people because I think what they're doing is important, and what you're doing is incredibly important because you're. Bitcoin has these secondary and tertiary effects that people don't realize. It, Satoshi, like you were describing earlier, he designed a perfect incentive system, and, and we had to go educate people about this incentive system. And oil and gas producers, again, they're they're more focused on getting all the oil out of the ground, selling it, making a profit, and sometimes they don't even have time to think of like, ah, uh, how can I be more efficient? And you are somebody who is like, hey. This is how you can be more efficient. It may not be obvious to you now, or it may not have been obvious to you in the past, but I'm going to build a product that proves that it is obvious. And I think what you're doing is incredibly important. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, the the evolution of mining from data mining centers on the grid to more dirty, not dirty, but more rough around the edges operations on oil fields. Because like we've been alluding to this whole conversation, it's not easy on an oil field. There's a lot of externalities and hurdles you have to overcome uh, to make it possible. And the fact that you're interacting with these people, these producers, excuse me, and helping them overcome these hurdles and then getting your uh, infrastructure on site. And it's just, it just works. Right. So I it isn't Bitcoin is like an like it's a tool, right? It's is what it is. It's a tool, and it's a tool for uh, it's a great tool for energy arbitrage. Um, I really do think the future of mining, like the hash power, unlike you're you're in the game now too. That's awesome. Um, there's a bunch of other guys in the game. I you know I like seeing competition. I like seeing what my competitors build. I really like seeing what my competitors build because 
I'm always trying to, I just have a competitive nature myself. So I like to see what people are building and the cool ideas they try. And uh, how can I integrate that into mine? Or should I integrate that into mine? How can I make it better? You know, that's what I was doing before. I was always looking at, when I was talking about the pump stuff, I was like, okay, these are what guys are buying. This is what they're building. This is what they're patenting. I would just spend hours scouring the patent database, learning everything I could about why the technology evolved that way. And hell, like, hell, how can we make it better? And just, you got to understand the root problems, I guess. So I just find this is, there's like nothing I would rather do than like, than like work on, I love oil and gas. So I'm in oil and gas. I love fucking Bitcoin. There's like nothing I'd rather do. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, you're having a ton of interest peach right now. You're a mechanical engineer. You're able to work on that. You're passionate about uh, money and fixing money. You're able to work on that at the same time. I couldn't imagine a better scenario. I like, I like the, the concept of all these, uh, uh, I don't know, column lefty, just sort of in batshit insane environment, like not environmentalist because that degrades the term environmentalist because I think that's a, a worthy. Uh, I would consider us environmentalists, actually. No, yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. I don't want to degrade environmentalism because I th- I'm I'm very much for environmentalism, uh, but the the the, the batshit crazy people that are just hating on oil, the hypocrites, right? They're all hypocrites. Um, I love just flying in their face, like throwing up Bitcoin mines, like even on. Like, I, I don't see any reason why a guy, because obviously I've always focused on the, the waste gas because it's, it's, it's a liability gas. So sometimes you can work the best deals there, right? But I love working with guys that have gas wells and just mining on gas wells. And, you know, the argument there is it's bad for the environment because the gas well was shut in and, and now it's producing. So therefore you have more emissions. But you got to remember, like when you deploy capital, uh, anybody, you, you can't double spend your money. You, you deploy your money on a gas well, that money's not going to be deployed elsewhere. Unless you're the Fed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, but you know, uh, when you deploy it, like you, like if I deploy a million bucks on a gas operation and I increase the net, you know, fossil fuel consumption, that's still a million bucks I couldn't deploy somewhere else, which would have still increased emissions elsewhere. And, and frankly, like I'm of the opinion that uh, the best uh, the best thing for the environment is what is most capitally efficient. The worst thing for the environment is capital inefficiency. If you go build a hydro dam with no one wanting to use it like they are doing in China, you just wasted a buttload of energy doing that. And you destroy the environment because, you know, hydro dams have a negative effect on the rivers and everything like that. So you don't, you did all this damage for nothing. That's a waste. That is wasteful. But, but these, these batshit people will say, oh, dang, dang, that's renewable energy. That's great. No, that was a very bad investment. And you just really hurt the environment for no reason. So anyway, I I like to, I like to provoke these people because they're, they're very much, uh, irrational and that's very fun and then i also i like the fact that we're like upstream like you guys now and everyone in that oil and gas group um and a bunch of people we probably don't know about in the world are using bitcoin in a way that flies in their face of these energy waste fud people right for bitcoin that say bitcoin's bad for the environment when in fact well look at us like we're we're using waste right like it's completely you cannot dispute it right you can't dispute it and that's the one thing i hate about the virtue signalers the virtue signaling quote-unquote environmentalist 
who hate on us for consuming gas and oil, yet they'll they'll go buy a petroleum made uh, stroller or they'll they'll drive their cars everywhere. They'll be part of the the well. They're uh, using the goddamn society. cell phone. Like, yeah, it's. I mean, but they they don't they don't know the supply chain, right? They don't. What, cell they phones don't aren't made from oil and gas, like. Yeah. No, and like the gold that goes into the circuit breakers did not consume any oil, gas, or mercury. Like, mm-hmm. they, oh, for sure. I mean, like they like to sip their lattes at Starbucks and type on their laptop or tweet from their phone and shit on, you know, people, you know, out making a living and, and you know, working difficult, dangerous work to give them their privileges, right? Like it's fucking ridiculous. Exactly. It it's is. ridiculous. And unfortunately the media is, you know, which is uh, one of those uh, institutions that is a zombie institution because it doesn't make any money. Uh, it's just propped up by the state. They're out promoting these uh, and brainwashing people into supporting these idiots. Canada is really bad for this, man. Like our entire government is just packed full of these, these idiots that are making economically irrational decisions um you know killing businesses with this carbon tax uh canada canada is such a weird dichotomy to me because some of the best people i've ever met some of like the most freedom loving people i've ever met including yourself come from canada and like some of the most down-to-earth like salt-of-the-earth people a lot of great bitcoiners come from canada i'm and i'm proud to be part of that like uh and i mean like you know when I shit on Canada, I'm not shitting on my fellow Canadians. My fellow Canadians are awesome. There's a bunch of bad apples in the group, but like, you know, the Canadian government's a joke. Like, it's an absolute joke. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to vote anymore because it's just like I don't expect anything good to come of it. Um, as bad, you know, as bad as that is to say, oh, no, you're not going to vote. But no, my I, God, re- I recommend that. I've it's, never voted. I will never vote. It's, it's not unbelievable. Worth it. And it's crazy. You know, I, I've, I've said to people here, like, so I'm, I live in the West coast of Canada now in Alberta, Saskatchewan, and, and it's traditionally a very conservative, um, you know, place. Uh, I come from Newfoundland, excuse me. Newfoundland is, um, very liberal, very, uh, left leaning, um, has unfortunately had to rely on government, um, for a long time. And it's crazy because I, I lived there and when I was younger and I was very liberal myself, I, I agreed with, not that I was ever political. I'm still not political really. Well, I guess I am because Bitcoin is political, but <laughs> I guess I have to be. In a different way. In a different way. Yeah. I'm not political. I don't care about what my local politicians are Who you're to. voting for. Yeah. You're voting yeah, with your just, capital, which is they're actors. even better. They're, yeah. They're just actors. So they're not even, it's not worth anyone's time. Politicians are actors and and uh the government is just the stage like there's there's maybe a kind of man to be a politician you have to be sociopathic in my opinion that's why i never vote because i'm not going to vote for a psychopath you know that's that is true um there's days where i'm like damn man i should run for like local mp here i should i should get in the government because like i would definitely stir shit up like uh with my views but and a lot of people here would sympathize with my views but uh but then I'm like, why would I do that? Like, why would I go into that life, right? Like, that'd be the worst. Your energy's, your energy's so much better suited for making yeah. Bitcoin a thing on yeah. these oil and gas fields. Oh, no, for sure, yeah. No, it's just like one of those things, like, and I'm sure a lot of people think the same. Like, you see what's going on with politics, and you're like, damn, I should, you know, throw my hat in the ring. But I, I would never certainly take that seriously. I think it's a joke. 
Um, but you know, we're, I think anybody, uh, we're all out here trying to fix the money and we will like, it'll, it, it'll take time. Like maybe not, I hope to God in my lifetime, we'll see some, well, we'll certainly see some amazing uh, changes because of Bitcoin, but I would like to see the downfall of state money in my lifetime, but I don't know if we will. <laughs> I'm a little bit more optimistic. I think we're further along the path than people realize, right? Like yeah, gradually I, than suddenly. And I think yes, yeah. we're getting very close to that suddenly part. Like people are losing. Like, you have your economy shut down for two weeks and you have 20% of your, here in the States at least, 20% of your workforce unemployed, unable to, survive it's fucked up man it's very fucked up i mean yeah and these are the conditions when people do start to get a little desperate and worried about their future and their food and their shelter and paying bills and stuff and their family and having kids i think that's when they'll start to really wake up to these problems um what do you think man like i, I sort of my theory is that i do think the state is uh, like state money is going to have to be reformed pretty quick i don't know if it'll be sometime in the aftermath of this cycle, or if it'll be maybe in another decade, I have a theory that they're going to jump back to gold. What do you think? I am partial to that theory as well. And I wrote about this on Monday. Uh, I don't think the fed is equipped to handle this problem right now. Like I don't think, I don't think the central banks can, can fix this problem. Right. Cause we're in a similar situation and this is a conversation I had with uh, Chuck Marone from the Strong Towns podcast. Go listen to that if you haven't already. Uh, he made a very prescient point that we are not in the identical situation that the Weimar Republic was in when they had not hyperinflationary experience, but we're in a very similar situation. So in the Weimar Republic, Germany in World War One basically bet on themselves, said, hey, we're going to go off the gold standard. We're going to print money. We're going to go to war. And we're betting that we're going to win the war. And they did not win World War One. So when they lost World War I, uh, all the Allied forces basically forced reparations on them. Say, hey, you destroyed our cities and our countrysides in this war, and you owe us reparations for doing so. We won the war. You have to pay this. Uh, in 1923, it got to a point where the Weimar Republic was printing German marks and trying to pay... Uh, pay back to the allied forces at the time and the allied forces got to a point where like all right we're not accepting german marks anymore we're only going to take gold or foreign currencies that we accept and real it got money. to a point or yes, gold we're going to take money. real money yeah and it got to a point where france occupied the weimar republic and was like hey we're going to start siphoning off your economic activity yeah and taxing. not even taxing just like hey if you're producing stuff yeah it's basically taxing um they came into the city france the france excuse me the french did a little drunk a lot of whiskey a lot of beer the french came in and said hey we're gonna start siphoning this off in the weimar republic in reaction said hey all workers go on strike don't work we will cover your paychecks we will print the mark and make sure that you guys have access to it so you can keep living keep buying stuff and it's not identical to what's going on in the states right now but it's very similar in the in the aspect that we've shut down our economy for this virus and that's debatable what 
about whether or not that was advantageous. We're not here to debate that. We're here to look at the facts. We shut down our economy. And the government's reaction is like, hey, we're going to shut down our economy, Don't, but don't worry. If you get laid off, we're going to print money and put it in your bank account. And that's exactly what the Weimar Republic did in a different context, exactly almost 100 years ago, 97 years ago. That's what mm-hmm. we did. So we may be repeating that right now. So you think maybe inflation's coming, like price inflation? I do. I do. And I do for many reasons. One, because, again, it's very similar to what the Weimar Republic did. And then two, everybody and their mother is goddamn sure that inflation is not coming. They're like, oh, don't worry. This won't cause inflation. It won't cause inflation. It won't cause inflation. Just as uh, inherent contrarian, I'm like, ah, just because everybody's saying that. I don't know if I believe that. Yeah, I, I think it, it's. I think we both can agree it, it is coming. It's just when. And I was thinking about this recently. I don't. I don't know. Like I'm. I'm. I'm no authority on the subject or should be listened to really. But <laughs> I sort of suspect like you know everybody like because right now the U.S. dollar is so strong, right? Um, well, every foreign currency is flooding into the dollars because all their debts are denominated in dollars yeah. that they need to consume them to pay their debts, but. When you add helicopter money to that too, especially if the economy shut... So this is where I'm like sort of hung up right now. If the economy shut down here in America, even though that all these foreign uh, countries have US dollar denominated debts and they need to get access to dollars, so they're basically creating huge demand for dollars. In terms of price inflation here in the United States, if people aren't working and aren't producing the goods that others are going to buy and your helicopter dropping money into their bank accounts, you still have an almost not an infinite amount, but extremely large amount of dollars competing for a very finite amount of resources that aren't being replenished. That's what I said on on Monday in the bend. Like I just don't know if that doesn't lead to, I don't want to say hyperinflation, but it doesn't lead to at least a little bit of price inflation in the price of goods. Yeah, I think it will. And I think the cost of living obviously is going to go way up. Um, the way I was sort of thinking about it was like, you know, right now, the future, like we're only pretty early into this, um, call it recession or just state of fear. Depression, dude. Yeah, I think it is. I think the depression comes when... 16.5 million people unemployed in this yeah. country right now. It's ridiculous, dude. No, I think the depression comes when people are actually getting hungry and like actually, you know, when things are really dire now so what i was thinking what i sort of thought would be you know the demand on the u.s dollar is really high right now the demand on cash because you know i think it's an austrian thought and concept that when there's uh when your future is uncertain you hoard the most liquid asset which is cash so canadians are hoarding canadian dollars americans are hoarding u.s dollars most of my uh most of my stocks, I don't, I don't hold a lot of stocks because I've been liquidating that for Bitcoin and my business over the years, right? But I do have some stocks left, like in my registered sort of like my, I don't, I can't remember what you call that in the states, like the retirement registered savings, but four hundred one k. Yeah, yeah, four hundred one. So like for me, I've I've moved it all into cash, and because that was just my own personal preference. But I think that's what we're seeing uh, generally in, in in the economy. A lot of people liquidated their assets, some of the stocks to hold some cash because they don't know what's coming. And so I think right now we're not, see, we're not going to see any price inflation, not until people flip and instead of demanding cash, they start demanding, well, we saw them demand toilet paper, but when they start demanding like food and 
ability to like whatever it is uh, they need to survive. Like uh, I, I don't know exactly how it'll transition, but I think the inflation starts to come. Like the price inflation and the cost of living must have to must start to come once you know after time has passed and and people are actually running out of the cash they've hoarded, and now they're actually desperate to turn to actual. Um, you know, they have to start hoarding what they need, which is like, which is the ability to provide food on their table and stuff. So I don't know, but. No, I mean, fellow Canadian Roy Sabag was on the podcast recently. A lot of Bitcoiners did not like it, but I think he made a very prescient point. Who, sir? That Roy Sabag from Gold Money and Mene. Okay, yeah. And I mean, he's a gold bug. He's a gold over Bitcoin guy, which I don't agree with, but. Hey, I brought him on just to get yeah, what the, the hell? Uh, synopsis of what's going on with gold. <laughs> but that. he made a very prescient point in my mind. Like hyperinflation may have already arrived in the states, and and that is evidenced by the fact that a lot of people in the country couldn't buy toilet paper at a point. So you have mm, yeah, hi- hyperinflation may not represent itself in the price, but uh, the purchasing power of what where your dollar goes. So you have like shrinkflation, like you're 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 not able to buy as much. I mean that is same as hyperinflation but uh in a different context the price may not have gone up but the scarcity of the good was greater than you thought otherwise and so like that's like still where i am today i'm in a, i'm in a small village by the sea there's not that many people in the town that i'm in but every monday or tuesday that's when we know the toilet paper and paper towel deliveries are being made and we're like all right that's when we got to go buy it because they'll be gone it's, like Tuesday, it's still bad. Thursday, Wednesday. Yeah, it's still what? bad. People are still. Are people like, what the hell? Like, are they using the bathroom more? Like, I thought all these people would have hoarded it, and now they have a ton, and they don't need any more for a while. Like, what the hell? I don't know what's going on. Like, I, I was, I was a savior of our uh, quarantine on Wednesday because I went to CVS to pick up batteries. Actually, I went to go pick up a nine volt battery for a stud finder. We were like hanging something on the wall. And I just noticed that there was paper towels, so I grabbed a couple packs. They're like, "Oh my god, you got paper towels! Thank God!" I was like, oh, <laughs> "What weird state are we in?" Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know they they have their they have their metrics for what is it, the consumer price index, and you know they have their ways I, of measuring CPI is inflation, bullshit. But not- at the end of the fucking day, it just matters. No, it's all it's nonsense. It's like the end of the day you know it doesn't matter what the cause is if it's tariffs if it's whatever if your cost of living is going up that's that's all that matters like you're you're having it's harder now for you to put you know survive to survive and to provide for your family that's all that matters it doesn't matter you can use whatever metric you want pick any data data point you want it doesn't matter no it doesn't get doesn't mean dick like if your wages are not in line with the price index the price index doesn't mean dick let's go back to rosier <laughs> yeah i know it's so easy to be so depressing during these times it's so much like so well, much to shit on but let's dive into what you're building we i wanted to get on this your the products that you have out there right now you make very interesting or not interesting you you make very uh business based decisions on the type of miners you buy and yeah the the containers that you build for the people that you're building for which i find fascinating i think you've done an incredible job of 
uh, weighing opportunity costs and actually provide like, so that's the point I want to get back to is you see Bitcoin mining as providing a utility for oil and gas producers that helps them mitigate flare and vent. Yeah. And so you're working in that context, which I am as well with what we're doing at GAM and, and trying to produce the best product for those people. And you make decisions that other miners who may be connected to the grid or other have other circumstances would be like, Oh, why are you doing that? Uh, one thing is up to this point, you've, you've used a lot of S9. So let's talk about still buying S9. <laughs> still. So, so let's drop into that. Why, why do you, yeah. why are you making these decisions and what are the, the sort of variables that you're taking into consideration? Okay. Yeah, no, um, I definitely want to, I'll definitely talk about a couple of my products I'm building. I think they're, one of them in particular, I just think it's great. I can't wait to like get some video out there and show people. It's just, I think it's cool uh, as a nerd for mining and oil field. But uh, well, I mean, um, okay. Well, in terms of computers um, or, or you know miners, I choose S9s for a few reasons. One, I don't have a large staff. I don't have. If I, if I went out, let's say, just on my own mines, like upstream data's mines, went out and bought a bunch of different ASICs, I would have to, like, I don't have the scripts and, and uh, different programming tools to um, efficiently, you know, work with a bunch of different equipment. So that's a minor thing, like, you know, because I haven't bought a Watts miner yet. So I wouldn't have any scripts to, like, update a full data center with a, with a if, so if I go deploy a unit, like I did on a crew energy site there last week, which I always, always shows my cool stuff on Twitter. So I had a cool install put it on Twitter with a big, big publicly traded company. Um, uh, when I go deploy that, like, I don't want to spend like, you know, I, I just want to, I just want to be able to update everything, have it, you know, use the same stuff, like uh, use the same tools to update and configure their stuff on site and to troubleshoot it and have everything very, seamless because the way my business works is I deploy units for uh, either my own stuff or stuff I'm hosting for other people. Like people buy my debt, my whole skids and I actually just charge them to operate it for them. So I just treat it like my own or it's the oil field companies. I mean, then I'm just managing it for them because they don't want to manage it. So I need a very scalable solution. So if I have like, if I'm picking like, like let's go to an extreme. If I'm mining shit coins, Okay, if I'm like running uh, GPU rigs, well, one that changes actually the whole design of the containers I build, like the, the boxes, because they're bigger. Like I need for the same power draw, I need a bigger container, right? And or I need a bigger solution, and that changes things, and that increases the complexity of the operation. You know, you'll have I'll have different inventory I have to build out. I don't want to build out different inventory. I don't want different ASICs. Like if I have um, S, if I am using all S9s, which I am right now, uh, as my own anyway, like some of my customers have different, but I can, if I, uh, if there, if any of them are damaged for any reason, like their fans fail, I have stuff in inventory I can quickly swap out and provide a decent service there. Um, but then the main thing though, like why I use S9s. So, I, I mean, I touched on, okay, like part of it is just, I don't have the help that I would like because I'm still very small, relatively small company. Um, and I'm trying to try, I've been mainly doing everything just bootstrapped. Like I haven't raised, 
I did take in a few investors, but I didn't raise like a lot of money to hire out a huge, you know, like I would love to get like a programmer on staff. Someone to like actually help with the complex stuff that I don't know how to do. But the S nines, like the main thing is the risk profile. So uh, there's a bunch of different risks with the oil field that you don't have to deal with, with in a, let's say a bit main data center. One is weather, right? Like when you build a massive warehouse, you're not really that worried about weather. It's pretty easy to contain and to manage the climate control, the HVAC. When you're, when you're building out little containers that you're not even operating yourself because I'm selling them to people, right? And I'm selling them to people or uh, my own stuff is on a site and it's the oil company operating it. I don't want to be on that site. If I ship a container that I own, that I'm mining on their site to get rid of their gas, so I, own, I still own the container, I'm getting like free gas or they're renting it off me or whatever the case is, I don't want to have to go drive four hours or send my guy to go do anything. I want them to do the work. So I, everything I design, first of all, I try to make it operator friendly so I can just, you know, if there's something that needs to be done, like, uh, for example, a breaker trips, like that's basic, right? But I can just call up the operator, say, okay, you got to just flip that breaker. Um, sometimes in some of my stuff, I have VFDs and the VFD trips. And sometimes it's just because of the, how the engine power bumps it, it won't reset itself. So I have to tell him to do it. Now, the thing is, right. If that, if it's like a bad day out, if it's a snowstorm or something and he opens it up, like, even though I tell him, I try to limit what they do in the data center. But one thing I definitely warn my customers is like, you always got to be wary of what the conditions are when you're operating these things you don't want to suck in a bunch of snow and have that go through your like leave the door open right or something like just little things so i'm really concerned about designing things that you you just have to assume that the guy operating who doesn't know what he's doing is going to do something stupid and leave the door open or or who knows like so um part of it is is the risk profile and then the, and so if i deploy s9s and the guy that owns the rig, you know, he didn't really think it through and he uh, left, took the filter out or something. I don't know, like, and just forgot to put it back in and sucked a bunch of snow through there. Well, yeah, S9s aren't as expensive to replace as Watts Minor M30s or, you know, the, the new hot gear, right? Because that would, that would bankrupt the guy if, if he did that, uh, just made one bad mistake. Um, no, and you're... You're alluding to a very interesting point here too, which is a lot of FUD that's been throwing at Bitcoin mining is that miners are going to collude together to destroy the Bitcoin network and work to uh, reorganize transactions uh, after they mine blocks. And I think what you're getting at is a lot of the miners going forward are not going to be as technically focused and cognizant of the whole Bitcoin ecosystem as many would like to believe, right? Well, There's a lot of quote yeah. dumb miners out there. I'm right? a dumb miner, Party. man. Like I'm a dumb miner. Like I don't, I don't mine on my, I don't have my own pool yet. Cause I'm not big enough. When I'm big enough, I definitely will have my own pool. Um, but right now I'm just mining on whatever pool I feel like. And my customers, I had, you know, if I'm hosting for them or if I'm, if it's my, the oil company, I usually recommend a pool for them. And then they're mining on a pool. Um, and at the, you know, the, the fact is the pool ends up getting to decide, right? Like what is truly going to happen with that hash power. Our, our, our um, 
our decision is whether or not we mine on that pool if some if shit hits the fan, right? Like as grinders, we can move our hash power elsewhere. And now, this, the, this got proved out with Ghash, right? Like, yeah. Why? Why was that with the Ghash got over fifty percent of the hash? Power oh yeah, and people moved off immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the thing is though, like. You never really know, actually. Like, you know, Bitmain probably did actually have over 50% hash power at some point. At some point, It's so easy to hide that, right? You don't know. So if I had 50% hash power, which I'm trying to get, like as you are too, if you're a miner not trying to get 50% hash power, like what the hell's wrong with you? Um, what are you doing? And actually, it's actually there's no point getting any more than 50% hash power, by the way. But if you, if you get, you know, I'm striving to become the majority, just like every other miner, but... You know, if if Bitmain had it, we don't know that. Like, we can't. We don't know. Like, because you they just split it up amongst pools. But at any point, they could just do a reorg if they if they so chose. Um, but that's. But do, you, do you think that's in their best interest? Like, I've I've completely under like why kill the golden goose? That's what no. I mean, mining fud. I wrote I wrote something on this uh, recently. Um, called it the state versus Bitcoin. If anyone, if anyone likes uh, my stuff here, go check it out. But, but that was Very about piece. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, I'm not a writer, but I just tried to get my ideas out there. Um, and what I learned, they're not my all my ideas. But uh, the point. So, yeah, I mean, the answer is we don't know what preference a miner has if if Bitmain wants to go out and screw with Bitcoin. I mean, fifty more percent attacking bitcoin first of all it doesn't kill bitcoin it's just a temporary denial of service like it's not it is a big deal it's a big disruption but it doesn't kill bitcoin and it's anticipated by the system like the system satoshi talks about it that you know that honest miners in the paper even uh there's a reference that uh honest miners should take over because it's in their best interest i can't remember exactly what his quote was but it's anticipated in the design. That is what the design is there to counter. So that being said, because it is possible, it is almost inevitable. Like if Bitcoin is going to last the next thousand years, which I believe it will, um, at some point there's going to be a 51% attack. Um, so we can dive into that a lot. Um, one thing I do want to mention on the risk and the S9s I just wanted to mention was, before I forget, is like, I, I the, probably the maybe the most important thing is like you know I build these little cubes that's one of my products if I throw that you know five hours away if it's mine I don't want to put 50 grand because that's you know I can pack that a 50 grand worth of watts miners and I don't want to put that in the middle of nowhere because <laughs> just because like it does all it takes is a guy with a zip saw and he's in there and he just takes everything right so I put s9s in there because um, one uh, First of all, most passerbys aren't going to know what's going on or, or want to steal it or take the risk on stealing it. And, and you can put surveillance up and you can make it theft resistance. With, and I have GPSs in my stuff and there's stuff like that. However, at the end of the day, I can't respond to those risks in time if it's hours away. Yeah. So in the middle of the night, I'll get an alarm and my control room will say, will be like, okay, mine's down, logs in. You can see the engine. You can see everything. Uh, maybe if I have surveillance there, he can look on the camera. He steals, sees someone stealing stuff. Maybe he's got a picker truck and he just picks it up and puts it on his truck, right? Like, there's a risk profile there. Like, I, I don't want to put expensive stuff in there. So my philosophy is if I cannot make this go with second-gen hardware, like S9s, 
which are probably like almost third gen now, right? Then, uh, then I'm not going to bother. Like, it's just not going to be in my best interest to do it because the risk profile doesn't make it work. Yeah, they're stealing ten dollars worth of hardware instead of seven hundred dollars. Yeah, or yeah. If, or like that. Well, I've had problems. Like you know, I'm I'm trying out new designs. Like the cube, the first uh, this is the first winter with this mini cube, right? So I I uh, I had a bonehead. Uh, so first of all, I'm 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 stressed to the max doing working on too many different things in the company that I probably shouldn't be. I should should have more people. But so with that, like I sometimes I get distracted and I forget about stuff. And one thing I forgot was a couple units that I had out there. I forgot to upgrade the filters to us to a filter that screens out snow. And so I sucked a bunch of snow through and I destroyed most of the hashboards. Uh, so I just went out there and I, those were for a customer. So I just replaced them on my dime. Okay. So it, you didn't charge him anything. That was my, I fucked up. So if that was Watts miners, like that would have fucking really, really hurt right. my business like because i'm still small right and that would have really set me back so it's part of part of it's the phase i'm in part of the risk profile and and the, and the fact is if i give a key to the operator on site to because sometimes like i said i don't want to be on site to visit these things because my business model is we control everything from a control room and the site operator operates them so whether they're mine or theirs they operate them i don't go out there unless i have to because it's a technical thing so um, if he opens the door up in, the, in a snowstorm because he's a bonehead uh, and, and just lets it, leaves it open and destroys everything, well, at least, you know, like, at least I'll have a talk with him and it'll, it'll cost me a bit of money, but it won't, it won't wreck me, right? Yeah. So that's, so how do you think about this transitionary period between S9s and S17s, M20Ss? Do you... Well, um... A, I think things are overpriced. Um, I think people are uh, have been maybe a little too bullish. I, I've been sort of. I don't. I don't. You know. I've joked that I've been bearish. Like I've even changed my name to Bearber for a while because I like I. I've I that. have been bearish in the sense that I'm not bearish on Bitcoin. I'm just bearish on. I'm bearish on the sentiment that's out there. I thought it was over bullish for quite a while. And I think that that bullishness, like um, wherever that's derived, just I think it's mostly derived from this the meme that you know the having is going to cause a crazy uh, bull market. So, well, if you looked at the history of halvings, the prices dropped after the first two. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I mean, there's the two halvings, and then shortly after, there's been a bull run, right? Yeah, yeah, but so, but at least you have the shedding of the hash power. But and people at like. Least like I think last in 2016 there was a month where the price fell from 650 to 550 I believe which is uh 15%. Yeah, well I mean no one obviously knows what's going to happen but like there's a I think a lot of people at least online there's a lot of bullishness around the having and how it's it's going to cause because of the increased scarcity right the argument there that there's less Bitcoins mined per day and stuff, and it's gonna it's gonna cause the price to jack up relatively quickly. And I think I probably I would suspect that it is having an influence on the ASIC prices in terms of the new ASICs are overpriced, and the old ASICs like S9s have become underpriced because a lot of people are dumping them. Um, a because they know they can't mine with them because they're they probably shouldn't be mining at all because their op costs are too high. But but B because they just think. Uh, 
Um, you know, the I think what I find with a lot better. of my customers when they evaluate, yeah, they think newer is better and they're per, better protected, and that is true. But they don't. A lot of guys, I don't think, properly account for depreciation. And so, if you buy a uh, if you buy a Watts Miner at two grand or whatever the price is now, and then the having comes, um, assuming you know uh, thing the price doesn't go crazy. Uh, that device will depreciate very hard, very quickly. Um, you'd think anyway, like you'd think the market demand would drop because these things aren't as profitable. Um, and then the price will go down. And so the guys buying these things might get wrecked, uh, just on depreciation. And then I'll, that's when I'll be ready to start buying them. Like that's sort of my philosophy, but my philosophy, like I said, I, I'll never buy new. I'm only buying used and I'll buy off someone else, um, when they're second gen. Uh, and I don't know, I don't know what I'll do after S nines when I don't think they're worthwhile anymore. I'll, I'll just evaluate. Maybe there'll be S 17s or maybe there'll be Watts minor M twenties, like whatever I can get my hands on that, uh, fits all the risk profiles I discussed, but. That, cause the two biggest variables, right? Are energy price and the price at which you acquired the hardware. Yeah and the hype cycles of getting the new hardware as soon as possible could definitely lead to what i think you're alluding to is people overpaying way too much and then you just wait for there's definitely a lot of newcomers coming in every wave to like oh what's the best way to acquire bitcoin let's mine it and what do i need to do to mine it i need to get this equipment and i'm going to get it as soon as possible not knowing the economics of the underlying system yeah, I think we're going to see that for quite a long time. Um, and there's other factors, too, that, I mean, mining is such a difficult industry. Um, and one reason why I've, even from day one, I positioned myself not to be out exclusively being a miner, but actually I want to sell the tools to the miners because, it, like, the oil companies should be the miners. They're the ones with the gas problems, right? They should be the miners. So I've always wanted to position that way. Um and to me, it's just a better, uh, I get, I'll make a better return. Like most of my company's revenues in fiat, like I earn Canadian dollars or US dollars selling equipment. And then I have a small percentage of my revenues in my own minds. Um, because, and the fact is like, if you, you know, if you have a hundred grand and in, in the way I look at it, I can buy mining equipment, make a decent return on investment mining over X amount of time. Or I could just sell a few rigs worth a hundred grand, make a, you know, 40, percent profit margin and i got my money right away like within a few weeks of building it so i think it's much more pro like i don't think a lot of people realize that mining is not very profitable like you can <laughs> it's really not it's not like you can uh a lot of people are better off just like investing in a restaurant or something and then taking their profits and buying bitcoin you know like or starting a little your wife starts a little cake operation my sister does that she sells cakes and like okay you want to you want to make a lot of bitcoin just take turn your profit into bitcoin like it's uh you'll do really well um mining is so. a, a roll your sleeves up get your fucking elbows dirty type of business which is something i found out a lot yeah of it is years and it very much is yeah and i i'm not gonna lie i was one of those people who thought oh my god it's the best way to make bitcoin the best profit and i've uh, been humbled over the last three years but it is though in once some ways once you're um, once you're in it, it's like, I need to do this because if not me, then who? Because this is so important. And I don't even care about the profit margin at the end of the day. I just think 
we need to fit all these oil and gas fields with Bitcoin miners because I think it's better for the environment. It's better for Bitcoin. And it's better for humanity in the long run. I agree. Um, I think what you like, I, I do think it's important to, um, at the end of the day, just be seeking profit. Like, uh, I don't, I'm not a fan of mining. Ideology. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. Like, and, and I, I completely agree with that. And yeah, we should, we are all aiming for profit, but it's not as easy as some people make it out to be. Yeah. And I mean, speak on that subject line, like with, with, you know, mining for the greater good and ideological mining, like that is nice. It's a nice meme, but like if you go out of business because you're mining ideologically, like uh, you cannot contribute to the hash power when you like later, cause you've, you've made a bad investment kind of deal. Like I, I've seen a lot of Bitcoiners actually really prominent guys, talk about that like they say okay like if if things get bad bitmain's got you know because evil bitmain right bitmain gets too much hash power well people will uh you know they'll mine at home and they'll mine wherever and they're in their small shops um ideologically to, to counter that that 50 more percent attack but that's not the way to do it like the way to do it in my opinion uh is to preserve your capital at all costs because all 51 percent attack is a is a denial of service and, and it's by nature temporary. Uh, it cannot, it can only persist as long as they have the capital to, um, to play it out. So the best thing to do is preserve your capital and live to fight another day kind of deal. Oh, no problem. I can't believe how long we've been doing this for. I didn't realize it. Two hours and 10 minutes <laughs> well, do you want to, do you want to wrap it up soon or, or what do you think? Um, I can wrap it up soon. I'm, definitely having a good time oh yeah me too yeah me too i just don't want to take too long for you but no i've said this i've said this many times in the newsletter bitmain is the icarus of early day bitcoin they flew too close to the sun yeah it's sort of like it's it's sort of disappointing like to see such a dominant company like 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 in my opinion the s9 is just an amazing piece of gear like it it was it, it's still profitable for people. Like, I mean, we're making some money off of it. It is unbelievable. Like, it was a great piece of gear. Um, it lasted so so long before anything unseated it. And they've they've. It's like they they seem to be squandering everything they gained. And that's like it's just sort of sad to me to see that. Um, I you know I'd love to see. Canadian mining company or something be the dominator or you're American or something like, but still like it's, it's sort of unfortunate, but I guess we'll see where they go uh, next. I mean, I, to me, it's like, you see what they're up to. Like they're getting into artificial intelligence, like this nonsensical, probably like, I, I honestly don't know anything about the AI chips, but I honestly just see it as a, Sound like as a, yeah, it's just one of those, it's like blockchain. It's like, it's like every other, hype word right so i don't know what they were doing they obviously had some very poor direction in their company but um but i want to before uh, we finish for sure i want to talk about the one thing i was building i'm going to show i'm going to try to get some more material out there for people i think this thing is cool it's not really that crazy different than what i've been doing like i've been building like these uh ohm mini cubes so they're, the cubes are just meant to be like a modular attachment. You can attach it to any power source, um, stack them, like rack them, build them into a wall. Like you can just 
modularly like drop them in like any power source if there's excess but the what i did with the this new one i call it a hash generator it's just a gen set it's got the bitcoin mine in it like so it's all in one box uh, i'm working on the controller right now to make it to refine it a bit so that the cool part of it is like you know how you can overclock and underclock asics uh so you do more power more hash rate less power less hash rate but more efficient uh, this is the same. You can do the same thing to an engine. You can run an engine. A genset runs at eighteen hundred RPM. Uh, so this thing uh, in the controller, and I mean everything I build, you can actually control from your phone because that's how I work, right? Because we do control rooms and stuff. So you can turn on the engine, turn it off. You can turn on the circuits, turn them off. You can sequence them. You can you can have them uh, if the gas if the fuel is variable, like the fuel drops because you casing gas froze off or any reason whatsoever it'll ramp down the load it'll do all that so it's got a really cool control system but for this one i'm i'm trying to make the control system i'm not quite there yet but where the actual engine speeds up and slows down and the hash rate overclocks and underclocks or it adds more circuits because an engine obviously if you speed up the engine uh, past 1800 rpm you'll get more power so that's the cool thing about this this rig and it's an all-in-one uh it's an all-in-one skid it's just it's basically and actually the there's no exhaust fans the the engine radiator is the fan so that's what's sucking the air through the building so everything about it is literally as basic as you can get in terms of a bitcoin mine you have your gen set which provides the power it moves the air because the engine radiator does that now that the risk there of course is that you have Basically, the way it works is the ASICs are all racked up at the back end of the skid. So the ASICs are blowing heat into the engine room, and then the radiator is sucking that through and blowing it out. So I oversized the radiator so that it could handle more heat, more ambient heat, and it can blow enough air that's needed to keep the ASICs cool. But, I mean, it's really – I think you could almost say, as far as I know, it's the only Bitcoin mine ever made that – or maybe not the only one. It's like, it might be the first one ever made in which the actual mine is integrated into the engine because it's using the engine to move air and stuff. So I think that's really rad. I, I'm, I'm excited about it. It's becoming as efficient as possible. You're not, you're not uh, bringing any tertiary vehicles to, to move that air. It's just all part of the process. It's sort of... Yeah, save, uh, save on the extra fan or fans. Save on the power distribution to the fans um, or water control and, and yeah it's pretty cool because then and, and then too because like when you speed up the engine the engine rad turns faster because the engine's going faster so it pulls more air and you need that because there's more power being made i think it's gonna be really cool so I, i'm starting in this with our the, the engines we build right now are the v8s um, and i'm gonna bring it up to the 400 kilowatt once i get a bit more runtime yeah, it's just like an auto calibrating system. Yeah, because the reason for that too is well, a if you just want to overclock the whole skid, you can overclock the engine and the and the computers, um, or just add more computers instead of overclock them. And then with the, of course, in oil field, I've always went after. I want to solve their big problem, which is waste gas. And if you're venting, you're usually not venting like a consistent amount. You're venting like, let's say. Well, on a lot of these sites, because it's small volumes, they might be venting like 500 cubes a day, then up to 700 cubes a day the next day, and it fluctuates. So the point of this whole system is that it, and the way it works already is that 
you can strap one of our engines on these sites and they'll cycle they'll cycle up and down the bitcoin load like it'll turn on computers turn them off in response to the gas so if you're uh, if your gas and the way it does that the controller that i design like the control system that we design i worked with a, i don't do the programming i work with a industrial plc guy but we use plc system and basically uh the bitcoin mine controller watches the engine speed if the engine speed drops because it's lacking fuel it'll drop the load and then so it's always trying to max out the load so it'll always drop to compensate and stay at whatever the set point is so yeah it's like auto calibrating that's fucking fascinating dude yeah a lot of people don't realize that what we build does that so i have I have to explain it, and then there are a lot of people's eyes glaze over, depending on who, who I'm talking with. But uh, like I said, the, the, our, our number one priority is actually to get help the producer with the problem. The second priority is actually to mine the Bitcoins. So that's how I do that with the control system. Yeah. Now I'm going back to what I was saying earlier, like the variables that you have to take into consideration as somebody building out a product like you are, are immense. Like the the voltage going to the gen set to the miner to the particular miner if it's an s9 or an s17 or m20s you have to take in different considerations into that you have to recalibrate your system differently it's not like you can just plug it into i mean that's what people like to think you can just plug it into a wall and it'll work which is true to an extent but you have to you have to uh tinker with the the voltage the energy going through the miners, the, the gas quality, all that stuff. And again, I, I can't stress how important the work that you are doing is. And I'm infinitely grateful for the work that you're doing. Um, and you're pushing the ball forward, dude. You're, you're way, you're way too kind, man. There's other guys, there's a lot of other guys helping and doing it. Like I like to see, uh, I'm definitely one of the first guys out there pumping it. Um, I know of other guys that were early doing it. They just weren't on the education track like I am. But they're out there, you know, making a difference and innovating. And uh, there's a lot of good guys in that, that group we've shilled here. So hopefully um, hopefully more listeners join that. And, yeah, no, I just I, – I just fun. Like, there's really oh, – man, like, engines, like, building engines, performance, like, what – what more fun is that? Like, and then earning some coins. Like, there's, I can't imagine any other way to make a living, really. No, and it, again, it's infinitely fascinating. A lot of people like to think it's glamorous, but it's, it's some of the most roll your sleeves up, get your hands dirty work I've experienced in my lifetime in any industry. And in, in it's it's cool because like it it uh, you know one one challenge obviously is like you know oil field is very blue collar. You know, guys know how to put pipe together, pipe fitting. They know electrical. They know how to pump oil. They know, you know, they know how to run rigs. Like, these guys are, you know, pretty impressive. They don't know a lot about, you know, the tech, the IT side. So, it's like a, it's, it's a fun challenge because you're, uh, you're tying, like, very two opposite spectrums, like, together. Like, the whole, the Bitcoin industry. There's not a lot of people, I don't think, in the Bitcoin world that, have a lot of experience in the oil field right like some a lot of people do but like you know most people are, are you know they're not a lot yeah very it's not few. it's very All few yeah it's very few and and so it's fun to try to tie that together because it, it's such opposite skill sets like 
and uh, my skill sets are more oil field oriented and that's why i'm lacking on the like like uh just having like a a, a wizard to help me with all the the pooling and, and you know just like coding right like that's where that's where we're weak but we'll get stronger but uh no it's definitely fun it's just tying two worlds together yeah and that's the beauty of bitcoin right it brings these weird parts of the world together just because the incentives work out that way and it's again the theme of this conversation i think it will make the world more efficient the world better off in the long run and again i know i'm 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 not blowing smoke up your ass. You may think I'm blowing smoke up your ass, but I think what you're doing is very important. <laughs> I'm very happy you're doing it. A little bit, it. yeah. Oh, I appreciate that, uh, man. Appreciate that. And we just ripped almost two and a half hours, and it flew by. I, I couldn't party. believe it. I uh, I still got one beer left. I'll have to chug that later, I guess. <laughs> hey, hey, no pressure. No pressure to binge drink here. Uh, is there anything before we hit end record here that you want to – get out to the freaks any messages any any comments oh i don't know um well just keep chilling keep chilling hard uh, especially if you guys know people in oil field just put them on to the good word like the opportunity um there's you know at the end of the day it's not it's not like rocket science to get a bitcoin rig on one of these sites um Hopefully, you know, people learn a bit from this conversation, just certain things to, you know, consider to like, you know, certain risks, you know, that, you know, could uh, be catastrophic, right? Like it's not, it's not as easy as it might seem, but then again, it's also pretty, pretty straightforward to get going. So um, certainly all the little guys out there, like with the little gas, little gas sources that are struggling, like, uh, please like uh, learn a bit about this stuff and, help yourself help yourself and by helping yourselves you'll help bitcoin yeah that's no, i mean which is part of I the beautiful incentive structure right right it's all the feedback loop is fucking miraculous satoshi i think in the next 30 years at the earliest or excuse me at the latest next 20 years 10 years at the earliest will be recognized as one of the best inventors to ever live on this planet oh man i agree i agree i and like I was saying, I just can't believe, I just can't believe some of the, some people that I, that are so smart that in my life that so smart at their jobs and, and what they do, they don't see and appreciate that. Like, holy shit, like you cannot waste energy now, no matter where it is, man, you could, you could, like, I've been thinking about this for so long. I wish someone out there would just go do it. Someone real smart. You could, you could put like, you could use, and, and there's probably a lot of good reasons why it doesn't make sense, but even still like stuff like, energy waste and the braking of vehicles you could run an asic and brake a vehicle right to turn like to slow down a vehicle you know what i mean so mm-hmm. i i i'm hoping like i'm hoping that in the future when asics are so commoditized like maybe in another 10 15 20 years where every asic like even you know several generations old are pretty much on par with the new stuff that you're going to see this sort of development of because they'll be so cheap at that point they'll just be like most electronics today just dirt cheap you'll see people like throw throw bitcoin rigs to break their you know petroleum-based vehicles like because obviously you can't conserve that energy but you can fucking make money off of it right like if you're a semi-truck barreling down the highway and you're slowing down you could just buy bitcoin to slow down there's so many things you could do 
Well, and then we get into the great debate is, is that a true, con- like you say it may not conserve energy, but are you conserving energy in that, uh, that immutable store of value that is the digital cash system that is Bitcoin? Well, you may, 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 may not be specifically conserving and storing the energy, but you're, uh, you're giving it value and break, breaking a vehicle is wasting. It's not wasting because you're obviously doing a useful act, but you can break a vehicle by, uh, generating power and running a Bitcoin ASIC. Exactly. No, and Bitcoin is not a battery. I, I think you believe. I that hate that. Well. <laughs> I hate that. Right? Well, I don't hate it. It's just like, it's a meme that just persists. Like it's, it's bad. You're consuming energy. If anything, it's a resistor. Value. It's a, it's like a load bank. It consumes energy, but, um, it's a conservation tool, right? It's an arbitrage tool. But um, you can't, you can't use the mine Bitcoin to generate electricity on a cell phone or something like that. No, make no, no. And all, and that, that whole battery meme has gone around for quite a while, but doesn't, there's not really much value in that meme. So let it, let it die. <laughs> yeah. It'll die through time. Um, I do not think upstream data or what you're working on will die anytime soon. I'm very, again, blown smoke up. You may think I'm blowing smoke up your ass, but I, I think it's infinitely important. The education uh, route that you're on, uh, I think you have opened up a lot of minds and a lot of minds too. Uh, uh, that I'm very thankful as a Bitcoiner for what you're doing. I just got the, hey, I could use some help text for my wife. So unfortunately, we do have to wrap it up here. Absolutely. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. Um, you and Matt have brightened up a lot of road trips. I listen to you guys all the time when I'm out driving like halfway across the province to get to a few of our minds. So now keep it up. And I mean, education is really important. That's what I'm interested in. And I think you guys do a really, really probably uh, right up there. I can't really think of anyone else that does a better job. So keep her going. And thanks for having me. You keep her going too, brother. Um, and I'm sure I'll see you outside of this podcast. I'm very excited to uh, keep this conversation going on the peripheral. Absolutely, buddy. Yep. Take care. All right. Steve, cheers. In- incredible conversation. The freaks are going to love this. Peace and love. To you!